The following show will destroy your self-worth with excessive expletives, overtly descriptive sexual deviance, and more desperation for external validation than any so-called entertainment should ever be allowed. Two talentless losers who are about as insightful and provocative as a comatose jellyfish. Cinema Psyops. A tendency to deprave and corrupt those whose minds are open to such immoral influences and to whose hands a publication of this sort may fall. So if someone of a dirty bird gets hold of your stuff and it makes them a dirtier bird, then it's labeled obscene. Encouraging the lowest, most base, and animalistic of desires to all who will listen. Because we, as a society, have decided that the cinema psyops represents our base and vulgar impulses, and that acknowledging our use of it rattles our collective conscience. I was trying my best to make a positive impact in the lives of others, but secretly I was involved in a relationship that was taking over my life. Cinema Psyops. It was leaving me wounded and depressed, unable to even manage the relationships that mattered to me. Auditory vermin infesting every aspect of the human condition, spreading their filth and foul disease. The Black Plague Podcasting. Cinema Psyops with Court and Matt. Welcome to the 235th episode of Cinema PsyOps. I'm your host, Court, and sitting across from me at the table is Matt. Hello. All right, so last week was our first attempt at doing a, you know, royalty-free episode without any music or anything like that that would give us a copyright ding. One of the moves that Legion is doing since we're going to be pushing episodes out without, you know, anything that's not in the public domain or royalty-free as far as music goes is both trying to get everything up on YouTube. Oh. And I told him that our episode that we just did last week would have no copyrighted music in it. Right. On our end. Yeah. However, the Nashi Cast promo that was in the episode <laughs> apparently used some stuff that got us our first official one as our podcast. <laughs> we got a copyright ding or a oh, DMR. Did takedown when he tried to upload it to YouTube. Damn. Didn't get it on the internets or anything like that anywhere else, like a Spotify well, YouTube's or a like lot that. more strict with that shit. Well, they have bots that specifically scrub for that kind of thing yeah. from copyright holders and everything like that. So, Rod, uh, gonna need a different version of your uh, promo now to play it on my show. Yikes. We love you guys, but you're killing us <laughs> with copyright. Well, I mean... Every and this is just let this be a warning to everybody out there that is a podcaster. They're coming for you guys. Um, in every way, shape, or form, you try and upload your stuff anywhere. Eventually, you're gonna get dinged. It's yeah. gonna fucking happen. I mean, I did an episode that was royalty free on all aspects. So the only thing I didn't think of was the possibility of promos. So I'm going to only be playing promos from other podcasts from here on out. And when I know for sure that their stuff doesn't contain other copyrighted works, yeah, which is going to less 
lessen the amount of other shows promos? Well, just temporarily. Well, until I get yeah. a version of it that I know doesn't have anything in there. Otherwise, we're going to have very few other shows promos. Yeah. On the plus side, I found a bunch of um, public domain and royalty-free music. And this week, we actually kind of have some stuff that is befitting of the documentary we're talking about. Hey, week. nice. Yeah, that's Sexploitation from 2013, brought to us by the folks at Something Weird Video and the great and powerful Frank Henenlotter. Oh. Now, he spends a bulk of the time talking to the man behind it all, pretty much, David F. Friedman. Yes. Now, David F. Friedman has a special place in my heart because of the work that he did with Herschel Gordon Lewis, and they touch on that in the documentary because they got started in the nudie cuties and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoiler alert, I had so much fun watching this documentary and not just for the masturbation factor. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to get all the, you know, info behind the scenes and all this. Yeah, it was actually really kind of amazing, and um, I don't really want to dig into it too awful much, but, like, this was one of the more fun watches that I had Yeah, this year. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed watching this documentary. It was really quite informative, and I would say that if you haven't seen it yet, uh, go fucking find it. I mean, it's on. It's available through Severin. I got it on their sale, and I just bought it on DVD, and I'm already regretting that. Yeah. I should have got it on Blu-ray. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that part of the assignment, I, I told you to watch as many of the loops that accompanied that as you possibly could. Did you get into any of those? I got into some of them, yeah. yeah as much get, as I could. I watched about an hour and a half or so, and then yeah. my wrist hurt so fucking bad. It was raw by that point. I yeah. had to go to bed. Yeah. I just, I was like, I didn't, I had just so many fucking keto sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, some frescoes. Only so much Gatorade, kid, you know? Yeah. And it just, I mean, I, my arm is like massive yeah. now. Yeah. No, I, I, I tried, but I concentrated probably more on the actual documentary itself. Well, and when I said that, I was watching the documentary and I was like, he probably already did the notes, but I was ready to message you. I was like, don't really worry too much about the loops unless it's for your own enjoyment. Okay. Because they are a hell of a lot of fun to watch. They are. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're yeah. on a flash drive, so I'm keeping them for a bit. <laughs> right. But um, I watched, uh, like I said, I watched about an hour or so of them, but yeah. um, the documentary itself features them pretty prominently to let you know what's what and what's there. But that yeah. added bonus of that second disc that is like three and a half hours of just these like, you know, ass shaking loops and stuff like that. Well, like the very first loop I watched, I recognized from one of the very first things they touched upon and showed. Yeah. Uh, yeah and the, we'll get into that. Yeah. I mean, but it, yeah, that little mirror machine, you know, yeah, it, it made the, the new lady, and you know, yeah. and it's just like, you know, it, you watch kinda, all the I talkies. jumped ahead to some of the burlesque dances and stuff because that's my jam. You know what? I'm I, a big fan of burlesque performers. I didn't get it. That's actually cool too. I didn't get to it, but I'm going to jump to the psychedelic yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, just for some reason, that's always been a time in the 60s that's interests me. Me too. It just seems like such an upheaval right. moment in our time. Yeah. It, it how people handled all that kind of shit with the new kind of drugs that were abound. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So because when they talked about it, I just thought that was incredibly interesting. Well, the music is going to be befitting of because I actually found uh, how royalty free this is. I don't know, but it was on archive.org. I found some stripper stuff. Mm. It was like like this old timey like 60s stripper I stuff. suppose if we get dinged, we'll just take it out. Right. I could possibly take yeah. it out, so I could just leave it as, or I could just leave it as is, and it'll just be another one that I'll have to come off eventually. Yeah. But um, I found it on archive.org for one of the songs, and then some of the other ones were from 
um, let's just say some loops that I had previous to this episode. Understood. That I that I pulled some of that music out of as well, and I'm pretty sure that those are uh, in the not necessarily public domain, but have never really been copywritten. Yeah, because uh, it's relatively rough, but still fits the music and everything like that. And then I did pull some other stuff that has the same kind of feeling. Cool. As as the music that would be in these kinds of loops and or the sexploitation movies that we're talking about. Awesome. So for this week only, I was able music. to have music befitting of. Well, that's good. We'll for see this how it episode. goes in the future. Yeah. And I did use some public domain music on last week's episode just because it felt better to have music coming in and going out and all yeah. that. But it just, it doesn't feel the same and I'm either going to have to get over that or just figure out something new. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Because <laughs> it just feels weird. It, it feels weird feel not right. having music befitting of, but we've been doing it for so fucking long. Yeah. And I mean, that was part of the things that I took pride in was finding stuff that fit the subject matter in yeah. some way, shape or form. And now there's like this empty hole where that used to be. Yeah. And yeah. Like, you know, the, the candles are. It's always nice to hear about a band that I'd never would have heard of you know, before. Right. And the happiness is so little as is right now that yeah. that little piece of joy that I had every week is now gone too. Like Matt, this band was called Stank Buttholes and they made this song called Female uh, Carnivores. And this is about the movie about these female cannibals we were watching and it's like ham-fisted there okay yeah that, uh, that's about right you, you just wish all of that were true <laughs> All of that existed. <laughs> I'm sure that there's some band out there that tried to use that name, but whether or not they got anywhere with it, who knows? Yeah. All right. Well, enough beating around the bush and talking about it. Let's actually talk about some bush and some people shaking it yeah. for us. We're going to take a little break here. We're going to play the Legion Patreon promo ad. We'll have a little bit of music befitting of, for this week only, uh, that's exploitation. And when we come back, there won't be a trailer because it was just more music befitting of yeah, for yeah. their trailer. Yeah. This will keep you quiet. Oh, hi there. I didn't see you. You caught me cutting a new show. I'm Bo Ransdell, and I'm one of the many creators you can find on Legion Podcasts. I said quiet! My fellow podcasters and I work hard to bring you the best in horror podcasting, but that comes at a cost. What's that like to live deliciously? Not that, but also, yes. No, what I'm getting at is that there are server costs costs for good microphones and software for editing, all the things that make our shows, you know, fun to listen to. And you can help. If you're enjoying the shows on legionpodcasts.com or in the Legion Network available on iTunes and Stitcher, just about anywhere you can download a podcast, really, you can help us out and get a little something for your trouble at patreon.com forward slash legion podcasts. For just two bucks a month, you get a pair of movie commentaries exclusive to Patreon, and for five dollars, you can also join us for a monthly screening of a movie. All of that available on patreon.com forward slash legion podcasts. We appreciate it, and thank you for listening. Now, back to the cutting room. Loose, loose, about this hoose. 
All right, so if you're the copyright holder of that, you need to take it up with uh, archive.org because that's where I got it from. Yeah, so the trailer is basically just the music that everybody knows that's ever listened to BB in BC or what is now the Exploitation Film Cast, which is the da 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 Which is weird. The trailer is just more clips of the actual like loops and shorts and stuff. It doesn't show any of the discussion or anything like that. Like It's a really weird short trailer. You know what? That's not bad, though. Well, I mean, yeah, and then it says the end name of the documentary at the end of it. Yeah. But I suppose it's bad to try to play on our show, but not bad if you didn't want the documentary ruined for you. Well, the music actually, I think, in itself would be royalty-free as well, or... Mm-hmm. If it if the folks at Something Weird Video own the rights to it, they're less crazy about dinging people for that kind of stuff because at least you're getting their name out there. Yeah. That's why I'm saying it as much as possible. Of course. Because hopefully they'll forgive the ridiculous amount of clips that I just had to download for you. Yay. I thought he only had 12, and then he stops me midway through the first fucking promo to say, <laughs> there's actually 20, there but I don't know 20. what happened. They should be there. They should have been. All right. But let's start it. That's exploitation. We start with... Uh, it seems like a 1950s teacher. I mean, it's like a clip from the 1950s and getting ready to talk about the human body and sexuality. And as he's getting ready to start what should be a normal class, a girl starts screaming and everyone starts to check on her, which kind of brings us into our rolling introduction where we see lots of uh, naked people and kinky stuff happening in the open. Yeah, it's a clip show of all the loops that we're about to talk about, and it almost goes in order from the decade of release, the way that they do it. Yeah, it really does. It goes from the black and white uh, no talkies to uh, all the way up to the present, or well, what would be present day for the, the, the nudies here. What's really weird is like women lingerie hasn't changed a whole hell of a lot. I mean, we have the stuff that they always try to sell, like the grandma panties and stuff like that. Yeah. But like these burlesque dancers and some of the ladies that are performing in this adult stuff, Mm -hmm. the cuts of the underwear that they're wearing looks like something that you would have today. Very similar to what today. Yeah. Like the lingerie, the garter belts, all the other kind of stuff. It's very similar. So it hasn't really changed a whole hell of a lot. I think the styles may ebb and flow like, you know. Well, that's something else that we're going to talk to as as we kind to go through the different ways that uh, things keep coming back around, but yeah. everything in human nature is extremely cyclical. Yes. And it's also nice to know that, like, boob shape is as amazing in the 20s as it is nowadays. Yeah, right? The different types of, and the way Just the breasts different look. types of boobs and whatever they do, man, but... I'll never get bored with looking at boobs shaking. I don't either. I It just, <laughs> it's not a thing. It's not a thing. It's, That's not a thing. It's not. Thank you. Watching boobs shake, though? It's a thing. That is a thing. Thank getting, you. getting tired of watching boob shake? That's not a thing. That's not a thing at all. Yeah. Not even a little. Um, as we get through the opening credits, a pasty uh a pasty wearied woman asks us to follow her. We follow her and we find a man sitting at the bar. Um, Did you notice that the camera made sure that it kept her ass full in yes. frame? Uh, for so most of course, of the you, shot nev- you never away. lost sight of uh, any of her assets. Yeah. Yes. That's exploitation. Yes. And this is where we're introduced to our host in our first clip. Hi, everybody. I'm Frank Henenlotter, and welcome to That's Sexploitation, a visual history of over 40 years of sexploitation movies encompassing everything from theatrical features to shorts, loops, and even a couple of stags. But I can't do this alone. I need the help of an expert, someone who's literally been there and done that. So let's go down to Anniston, Alabama, and meet with the mighty monarch of exploitation himself, David F. Friedman. Come on. Why should you know 
who Frank Henenlotter is, Matt. Why should that name ring a bell for you? I'm sure he's done a few movies that we've probably done. He's done a series of movies that we have done. Oh, really? Which ones? The Basket Case films. He did Basket Case? That's Frank Henenlotter. Ha! Huh. You know what else Frank Henenlotter did? What? Frankenhooker. Really? Yeah. Damn. Yeah, he's done a shit ton of movies. He really has. Yeah. And well, I assumed he had some sort of in with this to be the host of this documentary. Well, he also did some um, like producing and things like that, but this is very clearly a subject that he is quite passionate about. I yeah, like clearly, like he really wanted to make sure that this got made. Like you could just kind of tell by the way that he was, does all the the narration and stuff. Well, there's too. a funny part in this the scene where we heard the clip where the bartender is a dude and he's nude. Uh huh. Both he and, and our host here and the pasty girl both check out the dude's ass. And by pasty, you don't mean the skin tone. You mean no, the no, fact no, that she was wearing pasties. pasties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was just like... I was like, yep, this guy is, he's in the right place. We're we're about to hear from the right guy about this. Well, and they also throw in a little sound effect that almost was like an <laughs> auga when yeah, they both yeah. look down. So does that tell us that he just is a, a, I don't, I don't, a two-way I, hitter? Or? I don't know. I honestly don't. Like, Frank Henenlotter's sexual proclivities is not really something that I ever really was interested in. Yeah. But I think for the fact that it makes it funny and it's a good joke, he did that. Yeah. If it could be too. Because yeah. it is funny. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it like, is. it's fucking hilarious. It's great. Because if you look, he's a little bit, like, surprised at first and then he like really <laughs> he, notices yeah, yeah. and that's when the lady looks and that's when the awooga sound yeah, happens yeah. so uh an awooga sound is a classic thing for a nudie i would assume <laughs> uh yeah i mean it goes all the way back to the uh chuck jones animation with the wolf that eyes pop out yeah and, so yeah so yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. which uh, by the way you can get those on blu-ray now they're coming out soon really warner archives yeah nice I'm, I'm, i've got that earmark to possibly be purchasing nice because that's going to be droopy cartoons and everything Yep, awesome. Uh, we see Mr. Freeman's house is a ode to his films and probably other films of that era. Notice that's his garage that is an yes. ode to his films. Yes, yes. I'm pretty sure his wife is like, you keep that smut in the garage <laughs> yeah. with your fucking train sets. <laughs> and he's like, okay. Because uh, what was the joke that uh, Dennis Larry says he's at Wayne oh, yeah, Gretzky's house? Ray, I, I and mean, you Ray, know where all of his trophies are? In the garage. I mean, Ray Gretzky's house. Man has five MVP trophies. Know where they are? In his fucking garage. Yeah. <laughs> we find Mr. Freeman with a cigar in his mouth telling us that we are in the right place if we're going to learn a little bit about sexploitation in America. Especially from David Freeman, yeah. Yes. Uh, we begin with some more, uh, with a bit of a history lesson, and that is our next clip. Bed? Did you say bed? <laughs> that's not too relaxing, that's for action. Well, I guess actually it began in the 20s. I wasn't around too much in the 20s. I was born in 1923, but uh, movies, of course, in the 20s were a huge thing in America. It was the number one entertainment form, and it transcended theaters. People began to buy home movie projectors, 16 millimeter projectors, and the reels were about uh, 200 feet. They were silent, of course, and oh boy, this was a big, big thing but at the same time along came somebody with uh, well why not a little uh, SCX 
Well, sex in those days consisted of how much skin you could see. So they started filming these little loops of girls in various stages of dress and undress. And guys would buy these things and take them home and wow, wow. That was the beginning too of sexploitation, which was a division of exploitation. Well, actually going back into the 20s, the motion picture industry was going through uh, quite a series of unpleasant and uh, bad publicity events. So the moguls, the Adolf Zuckers, the, the William Fox, uh, Louis B. Mayer figured we better do something to avoid national censorship. Oh, doctor, where do I hang my clothes? I haven't many on. My friend told me not to wear many. Uh, uh, hey there, stop that. I, I'm not a doctor. Not a doctor? Well, then who are you? An officer. So in their wisdom, they set up a code where they asked a man named Will Hayes, who had been the postmaster general, to come in and set up this uh, association of motion picture producers and distributors. However, the code itself was not formulated until about 1933 when the Legion of Decency, which was an arm of the Roman Catholic Church, came up with these do's and don'ts, and there were about 15 of them. For example, a married couple could not sleep in the same bed. There could be no nudity in silhouette or form whatsoever. I mean, the whole thing was very stupid, but very rigid. And for the next couple of decades, it felt like the morality of mainstream films was governed by a bunch of angry Catholic school nuns who'd whack their ruler over the head of anyone who'd get out of line. The pre-Hays Code and the Hays Code and the various uh, censorship that ended up happening, especially when the MPAA comes into place, the way that um, it's self-censoring for ratings and all of that. Yeah. Uh, that's something that we've talked about before in another documentary that we have covered. The Nasties. Yeah. And how rating systems work and how censorship works for film boards and all of that kind of stuff. But it's really kind of interesting that uh, it's a Wild West time and you can kind of see some of the films on how exploitation worked with them showing skin and getting away with quite a bit of nudity. Quite a bit. I mean, I was just going to say, during this clip, there's so many loops of classic loops of nudity that I didn't think you could get away with in that day and time. Well, when it was stag films and it was stuff that was like hidden in the, you know, back of the cupboard yeah. and all of that, it was still technically illegal because you weren't allowed to show full frontal nudity or pubic hair full frontal nudity even on women. Yeah. But if if they caught you with it, the film would just be destroyed. I gotcha. So it was so, like a... Yeah. Cause, I mean, because there's a bunch of stuff that like when Betty Page was doing these kinds of shoots uh -huh. that you saw in like the like 50s or whatever it was that, or that her actual era was. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was some things that were stuff that she shot that was a little more risque because she wasn't concerned about it. She wasn't worried about it. Yeah. But a lot of that stuff had ended up being destroyed because of the rate of the people that were paying her and had a lot of that stuff. Yeah. That got blown up and destroyed. Some of it got saved, but some of it got burnt and yeah. all of that. So, All the, depends on the cop. Might have been pocketed, too. Right. Um, the films that we're talking about here, these are the surviving loops. And 
I guarantee you for everyone that we got to see here that still exists, yeah. there's at least five that got destroyed. Destroyed, yeah. And no longer exist in the name of decency because you have to save the children from the film. Gotta save, oh, gotta save all the starving children right. from, from boobies. Yeah, or yeah. sex hygiene films. Or, or sex whatever. hygiene films yeah. or anything. Um, we cut to, they cut to like many different movies and um, they went to a point of where almost some of these sexploitation films were made to be like scare films. Um, the well, it was a way that they could get away with showing more. showing more, but but saying, "Hey, we're telling them not to do this." Right. Well, they would show a diseased penis, but they were still showing a shot of a penis. Yeah. Well, or they would show a live birth, but that was a way that they could show a vagina. That's just coming down the, the line. Here are these ones. These are actual like almost supposed to be billed as maybe like after school specials for that time. Oh, the marijuana scare. Yeah. Films well, here of the this 30s, one's like yeah. one of these was called promiscu- uh, promiscuous necking. And then the next frame goes, necking strange girls can cause social diseases. Uh, It cuts to another one called close dancing and rubbing. Uh, And then it goes, rubbing against each other causes the mind to unclean thoughts. I was a little sad that those weren't in the loops. Yeah. I would have liked, but maybe the, I don't know if those types of scare films, they probably are out there in another collection, but like, I enjoy watching those and laughing at them. Yeah, exactly. Particularly the ones that are like the demon weed marijuana. Yeah, Yeah, this one, uh, there's uh, narcotics and there are many ways to use narcotics. Indulging in this mythical heaven, eventually de- develops dope beans. Um, and then one of the better ones is a strip poker parties. Unmarried boys and girls for fun will play strip poker. The girl, uh, the girls manage to lose their clothing. Dun, dun, dun. But there's in that sequence, one of the girls strips down completely nude and you see yeah. she's full. She's certain, yeah. And she's certain. Then like another one's like, I could do better than that. She starts getting all nude herself and yeah. everyone's like, everyone's having a good time. I was actually really amazed that there were so many completely shaved ladies in these eras. Exactly. Well. Oh, by I don't the way, know if they were doing that specifically for the filming because they couldn't show pubic hair. Yeah. Or if that was like a hygiene choice. Maybe. Because of what these ladies may do as a profession. Yeah. Either way, I was really happy for the restored view. Yes. Oh, real quick, and I gotta add this. The unmarried boys and girls for fun will play strip poker. The girls manage to lose their clothing, and then the next screen says, the next step is Ruination of innocent girls. Yeah, what's, what's the problem with that? I, I have none. I don't know what the problem is with that. I believe that they are concerned that um, virginity is a thing that uh, should be held preciously. Virtuous. Yeah, um, that's just bullshit. Yeah. All of that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's their flower. <sighs> that's a bunch of horseshit. Uh, oh, I agree. Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, Everything about this as a scare tactic, yeah. all it does is get my kink shaming yeah, um, uh, like my, uh, my, my kink of being shamed like up and enjoy it more so. I just I really found those to be just just hilarious because you always hear about them or you always see them mocked like on TV shows or something yeah but to actually see them in real life and you're just Have like you never seen like reefer madness or the devil's never. marijuana or the devil's weed or uh-uh. any of that kind of stuff nope oh my god they are but so I know, fucking funny I know somebody later on talks about how you know uh, marijuana is worse than cocaine somebody says this one of the short yeah, we'll that, co- yeah. that was the marijuana yeah uh, like it's worse film. than cocaine holy shit well to somebody them, had a just you know somebody had an agenda at some point in time 
time, they may have actually thought that because cocaine actually was put in Coca-Cola. That's why it was called Coca-Cola. Yeah. Imagine the fucking thrill you would have gotten from sipping on a cocaine Coca-Cola. What's what's that old meme? Uh, It must have been a great being an old-timey doctor just walking around drunk going, yep, you have ghosts in your blood. Do cocaine about it. Then you leave. (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) Um, Anyway, uh, David actually picks back up in our next clip. And that code was one of the reasons that exploitation films came into being. The sexploiteer was not bound by any code. He was free to use any subject in the world as long as it was in bad taste. And he did. Dope, miscegenation, uh, roadhouses, the prostitution child marriage, et cetera, et cetera, you name it. You understand, nurse, I, I want the boy to look just as nice as possible. His case will be up before the judge in just a few minutes. Now keep him perfectly quiet. All right, Senator. And just to stay on the safe side of the law and local censors, sexploitation thrills were delivered with a heavy dose of cardboard morality. It's the most disgraceful thing I ever heard of. We must get her out of here right away. But mother, she hasn't any place to go. Who is he? Who got you into this? Can't you let her alone until she's able to be moved? I've always kept my house respectable. I won't have them exposed to this contaminating influence. She's thoroughly bad. What sort of a place is this? Stop asking questions and go upstairs. Yes. Come with me, dearie. I'll show you your room. In fact, the whorehouse was usually the final destination for bad girls of dubious virtue. The sexploitation films of the 1930s loved whorehouses. Here we are, honey. Oh, uh, uh, girls, this is Judy. Hello. Uh, you're gonna like the girls here, Judy. We're all just one big happy family. Well, there were some very colorful characters engaged in this enterprise. I knew a lot of them. They were all labeled the 40 Thieves. (laughs) I guess I'm number 39. And these guys were making pictures for nickels and dimes. And of course, they couldn't turn them over to a national distributor for distribution. They did what every old carny would do. You put the print under your arm and you went from town to town selling it. The exhibitors said, yes, you put up your banners, you built a whole new front, and you advertised, you set out heralds, and then you got out of the way and let the crowds come in. Marijuana was made by Dwayne Esper, perhaps the most outrageous filmmaker of the 1930s. Though Esper only made a handful of films, each one is not only memorably offensive, but pushed the envelope as to what could then be shown on screen. Yeah, marijuana is the one that we were talking about, this care tactic, where they actually do say, um, you know, that's worse than cocaine or whatever. Yeah, exactly. The thing that really outraged me was they actually show someone buying marijuana, and she hands the guy, like, less than two bucks and gets a giant box of weed. Fuck. It's Man. like it's like fifty fucking joints for like two bucks. <laughs> to be back in the old days, huh? <laughs> I mean, it probably was weaker back then. And yeah, there was syphilis fucking everywhere. Oh, and then there was all this virtue signaling about what's wrong. But he like, sneezed once he had syphilis. Yeah, but like if you could if you could buy like that many jazz cigarettes for two bucks and bring it into the future. Yeah, I mean, maybe d- it's d- I don't know. Maybe it's weaker by today's standards. Who even fucking knows? But <laughs> it's still, man. I mean, it's still gonna be weed, man. I'll still get the job done. But like one of those jazz cigarettes could probably get you. Laid. So that's like 20 different times you could get laid. Yeah, right. And then if you get them 
become hooked on the jazz cigarettes, then you can start making a stable yeah. of weed junkies that you are then selling their bodies to other people so you buy more weed. Because it's, of course, it's worse than cocaine. Yeah, according to the fucking marijuana movie, which, by the way, I think we need to find some of those. And we, do need, we definitely need to find some marijuana movies. <laughs> or the, the, the drug scare films of the yeah, 20s and yeah. 30s. Yeah, I think they'd be fucking hilarious. Oh, my God, they'd be great. Yeah. And um, I, I can just see all the people out there in podcast land going, yes, guys, please fucking do this. Yeah, yeah, find them. In <laughs> uh, in this, during the clip, we saw scenes from um, a whorehouse movie, uh, and one of which a young lady was brought to a house of ill repute. Without knowing what without, it was that she yeah, was being brought exactly. there for. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we saw marijuana girls running about nude. Uh, and, thank you. Know, you. Yes, thank you. And also sex hygiene pictures. Uh, uh, and also show we had a dude who had syphilis, so they showed like a leaky syphilis cock. Yeah, clip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they did, and it was it was enough to where I'm like, Ooh. oh, 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 man. Was it is it was it syphilis that rotted out Al Capone's braid, or was that something else? Um, no, but that's what's affecting our president. I yeah, believe. yeah, yeah. I think so. No, I think they did say that he mm-hmm. got a little crazy from uh, an untreated syphilis affection. Yeah, like yeah. It was it, some it him, sort of VD that yeah, yeah made Cap- him real nuts at the, or maybe. It was gonorrhea. I don't. It, it was either gonorrhea or syphilis, but it went untreated. But, you know, I don't want to disparage the good name of Al Capone because Lord knows <laughs> he was an upstanding citizen that, until those tax troubles. That's right, poor Al Capone. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Then we uh, we come to a uh, high school girl who knows nothing of sex, and she gets pregnant. We have lots of scenes of ruined lives because all these young ladies who don't know anything about sex, and and now you're. That was Ha- the, don't have sex. That and, was the crux of the sex hygiene film right yes, there. Yes, yeah, So you didn't, the one girl didn't know and now she's pregnant. It was like her first date and her and her mom didn't have that talk. Y- yeah. And most of the, most of the sex hygiene films were essentially if they would have had this film to show in sex ed to the kids in schools, this girl would have never gotten in trouble. Yeah. And also they had uh, sex hygiene books um, that our host showed who say, I don't go anywhere without these. Yeah, the um, film was basically a cheap porno, and then they would have someone sell. Yeah. Well, not really a cheap porno, but it would be like a cheap, quote-unquote, sex hygiene film. A nudie, yeah. Yeah, but it would basically have, like, simulated sex on screen. And then, if you were curious on how you and the wife could accomplish such a thing, they had basically how-to manuals exactly, for yeah. sex. My favorite is, like, the various position ones that they started doing later uh, on in uh-huh. the later years of these. Yeah, but it's educational. See? It's, it's not pornography. Right, that's fucking brilliant. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was... It was so smart. Um, we cut back to David talking about censorship issues in our next clip. Although there was no national censorship, the Hayes Code had uh, pretty well stopped that. That did not prevent different states and different cities from having censor boards, and no two of them thought alike. Now, there was a crazy old man named Lloyd Benford who was the city censor in Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee. His big thing was black people. He didn't want to see any black people. He used to censor the Our Gang comedies because Buckwheat, the little black boy, was playing with Spanky and the rest of them. You can't have them associated. That's why pictures like the whole genre of film became known as Guna Guna. As long as the native 
either black woman or a bronze woman or be she Balinese, Polynesian, African, whatever. As long as she was bare-breasted, the censor board said, oh, okay, okay, okay. Don't let a white woman appear bare-breasted, though. That was the feeling in the United States at that time. Ngagi. Now, there was an interesting film. There was a picture that spawned another form of uh, sexual entertainment, monkey sex. In this picture, Ngagi, the native girl, is uh, sacrificed to the gorilla. And he throws her over his shoulder and takes her away. And that picture must have inspired another dozen or so gorilla and the maiden films. Came on a scene that froze us with horror. The great ape was carrying off one of our women. The actions of our women in seeking to protect this monster dumbfounded us. Again, the incredible suggestion of apes wielding power over human beings. Monkey adoration, monkey domination, ruling the people of Cambodia today as it did when Angkor was built 10 centuries ago. There was an interesting thing about exploitation pictures too. Let's say the state of Ohio wanted something out of a print, but the state of Kansas didn't care about that. So you'd cut it for Ohio, but then you could put it back in for Kansas. A lot of times you wound up with 10 or 12 prints of the different pictures, each labeled suitable for Montana, uh, Alabama, Georgia, so-and-so, not suitable for, it was a mess. Which is why some movies had certain scenes filmed two ways, a hot version with the strongest content and a cool version that's considerably toned down, like these scenes from Escort Girl. And that and, never went away. <laughs> yeah, and we, we get to see a lot of these scenes they show. This was really interesting. Yeah, I the thought. comparison between the, the hot and the cold The comparison, the yeah. hot and cold, and how, yeah. you know, in the hot version, they're very skimpy lingerie talking. Or less. Or less. In the cold version, they're typically fully dressed in, like, robes. Or they have, like, a nightgown. Or, on. yeah, a nightgown. Yeah. And some scenes just aren't there at all. Well, some of the things that they're talking about yeah. involved sexual Stuff. frolicking and things yeah. that they had to remove, too, yeah. But I was just like, wow, that is fucking weird, man. This wasn't the first comparison of the censored versus uncensored or the let's say clothed versus nude versions of things that I'd seen uh -huh. um, because the Paul Nashy DVDs that were coming out in the very early days of DVD releases when you could still get things that were like um, Best Buy exclusives and stuff yeah those DVDs from BCI Demos actually would have comparisons and would show you the difference between a clothed versus nude scene oh wow and it was set up very much the same where they played pretty much side by side and you could see the differences that's like crazy crazy though yeah i but, mean but you, you you don't realize what goes into filmmaking they shot scenes 16 different times for you know just to get two probably different ways of having it well yeah and the way that they would have to do this stuff film is very much an industrial art where it has to be a very specific methodology to create said art uh -huh. it's not like some dude painting on a canvas that can just get away with whatever yeah you have to construct a film from various componentry mm -hmm. so if you also have to deal with censorship and you know in advance you're going to have to deal with censorship doing something like 
like this would make sense. Yeah. I mean, again, it was just mind boggling. It's really ingenious the way they worked around a lot of this. It's very smart to get around and how it was different from state to state was always interesting as well. Yeah. And, you know, horror movies and um, other types of films ran into this as well. Like, even though the Hays Code would take care of a lot of stuff, there's plenty of horror movies that would have to have things trimmed to be able to play in specific states. Uh So there's always these different versions of uh, films out there. So whenever you can get things that may have been cut out, restored in some way, shape or form, just because like if you sent the print to Kansas City and it got chopped up, when you got it back, you didn't get the pieces that they cut out. Uh So like that may be lost to the ether if that was the only version of the film that they had. Yeah, that would suck. So whenever you start finding these kinds of things, and that's why like restored prints are such a big deal to film collectors, Mm -hmm. especially if you can see it in the original version, regardless of how censored it may have been even by the Hays Code. Yeah. Like it's just mind boggling to me the way that censorship destroys all creativity. Exactly. Literally. Uh, for for <laughs> some perception of moral fortitude. Moral fortitude. Yeah. Like the children <laughs> all of a sudden, you know. We've done a censorship show. We're yeah, fine. All right, let's, right. let's move on. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just insanity. Though. I know it's something that irks both of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we need to move on. We got a lot uh, more story to tell we have about so much. Well, now we're coming up some of the stuff, your favorite stuff. Uh, we cut to about uh, how burlesque shows started becoming uh, a big thing and men would uh, like uh, uh, filmmakers would just take a camera into a burlesco and film it. Yeah, they would so, sit in the fourth row and set up yep. a tripod or whatever and some paid people, all the burlesque performers for that one showing. Yep, and some of these nudies had um, were about 10 minute shorts of just women in various stages of undress not even burlesque dancing, just kind of, hey, she's clothed, then all of a sudden it cuts and she's not as clothed, and they'd just go, go, go. Uh, most of most were silent and they were shorter to shoot so that way you could be shooting it the reason why they were silent and they were kind of shorter movies it was easier to shoot that way so that you could maybe shoot someplace and if the cop showed up especially if you went to like a public place to do this like outside type stuff you can make a quicker getaway what you're talking about there is they would play those kinds of films on the outsides of burlesque or yes yes they would between shows and that's what those things were shot for and the reason they were shot silent is because they were just shown to be there and it was a way to titillate the audience it's further in between while the girls changed or, or whatever in between else. yeah yeah, yeah, they would yeah have i'm sorry display it's and some f- of those were for, for that and some of those were for penny arcades that they were talking about too they yeah, the briefly mentioned them but they touch on them later on in the documentary yes that very much so which i realize that we are dealing with a uh the memory of david f friedman but i think this could have used some story editing to not jump yeah. around so much in time and actually give us a more cohesive timeline yeah but then i realized too that this stuff was so cyclical whenever he's jumping around and talking about it it's very easy to get it all jumbled up in your brain because it keeps coming back around and whatever the fashion was or whatever the excuse they were to be able to peddle their smut yeah whether it's a hygiene film or whatever it is like those same tricks keep coming back around yes which is really incredible yeah exactly um uh, yeah let me go back into it once again it's it was to kind of for breaks and burlesque shows and stuff like that that they would show these 10 minute shorts um uh i i just like the fact that they even though talkies were around they purposely made them silent because it's easier and quicker to shoot because they like to, to like to do a lot of location shooting and if the cops showed up it was easier to get away with that kind of equipment a lot of those loops even into like the later 70s especially the roughy loops that i'm a big fan of uh-huh yeah 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 <laughs> You haven't seen. You don't know what I'm talking about. I haven't seen, but I mean, I got to know some of these in the... (laughs) Yeah, no, no. Those, um, 
those are uh, different than what I'm talking about. By the okay. time we get to the 70s, yeah, they would make you very angry that you that the, I watch those. Oh, really? Oh no. <laughs> yeah. So somebody out there was like, "Ooh, 70s Ruffy Loops Court." Yeah. Really? Oh, oh that's bad. <laughs> yeah, but um, a lot of those were shot silently and would just then be played with the music because they would be in like the the the, yeah. the jerk off booths that were like the new version of the Penny Arcades. Yes. Where you could actually go in for a little privacy and it would be a quarter and those got super hardcore because no one was telling them what they could and couldn't do at that point yeah and some of those are just downright disturbing <laughs> uh, right uh we jumped into the creation of well not really creation but maybe more so the forefront of the nudist colony in the quote-unquote uh, documentaries that would make about nudist colonies which were just once again easy way to get nudies out that's where the nudie cutie term came from is yes. from the nudist colony films they were actually the first ones that were really They're dubbed nudie cuties and they were built as documentaries of nudist colonies but really it was just another way to show naked people on screen oh and what's really funny about this is um friedman actually admits at one point when he's talking about these that they would actually always hire oh, models to come yeah, in yeah that's like, coming up later because yeah. Because nudist colonies will start, they'll go away for a little bit, and then they'll have another resurgence later on. But yes, he did. They would. Well, and if you look at even the early versions that he's talking about here, like you can totally tell what is an actual nudist colony resident. Uh huh. And then what is clearly just a model that was brought in. Yep. And they would shoot on in the nudist colony. And I was like, and I was thinking about it. I'm like, if you're in a nudist colony, why would you allow them to portray everyone as these like bastions of beauty and all of that? And I'm like, oh, because it gets more people into your nudist colony. Yeah. I mean, it would get more people to come by. Because uh, when I was looking at that, I'm like, you know, maybe my body's not so terrible. Maybe I should go to a nudist colony. Yeah. Well, anyway, he talks more about those, and that is our next clip. In the 30s, the exploiteer found some great material in nudism. Actually, the nudist movie had begun in Germany in the 20s. It was part of Hitler's overall plan to build this nation of young Aryans. So they made quite a few nudist camp pictures uh, going out with the boys and the girls running around naked and hopefully cohabiting later and uh, coming forth with a whole new generation of cannon fodder. Now the nudists themselves always uh, promulgated their theory Nudism is a happy, wholesome way of life. The sun's rays bring you great strength. It did not escape the United States. There were nudist camps that sprung up uh, in Indiana and uh, several of them in Florida, quite a few out west, of course. The day has begun, as in every well-regulated American camp, with the raising of the color. The camp is called to life with a typical American automobile siren. Instead of snatching one more doze like other folks, nudists rise, stretch, and hit the deck. Who are these nudists? Well, they are the average city office workers. Among those present are doctors, scientists, dancers, actors, university professors, engineers, cafe proprietors, clerks, and several independently wealthy people. 
1933, Brian Foy, one of Vaudeville's Seven Little Foys, produced the first nudist camp film made in the USA, Alicia, Valley of the Nude. I think one of the more interesting, interesting things about the nudist colony nudie was that they were originally made by the Nazis to show all these really good in-shape Aryans, as they put it. Yeah, that was really disturbing to find that out, that that's where they originated from, because yeah. it takes the joy out of... I actually really like the innocence and fun of these. I've yeah. seen plenty of these nudie cuties that were set in nudist colony movies, and knowing that it has such a dark origin takes away my joy from them now. Uh, uh, just a little bit, yeah. Um, in the midst of all these, you see clips in the uh, of the nudist colonies, really all of them work out. They, it, it really, almost all nudie cuties follow the same sort of formula. It's literally the, an excuse to make tits bounce on screen and exactly, then watch asses yeah. jiggle nudist, as they walk away. Yeah, but you have a nudist colony, you see them wake up, they'll do exercises, then maybe they'll play badminton, go swimming, exercise. It's a very funny thing, but it all follows the same. Very how to make the tits jiggle. Yeah, how That's to make boobies and butts jiggle. That's about yeah. all that it is. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the more inventive ways that they find ways of having a woman be completely nude, but they still obscure the naughty bits that could be getting the film destroyed. Yeah. For actually showing, like, you know, full frontal female nudity or pubic hair. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like in those types of films and in these early. Uh, nudie cutie movies that were like this. Yeah. It's really ingenious the way that they have them running around or they'll have like a pillow fight. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, like the way that they do it is just really well done. I, I mean, want to go join a nudist colony. <laughs> well, clip. <laughs> but that's a certain way that you can make sure that said nudist colony will die a horrible death. <laughs> yeah, it's if I join it, yeah. <laughs> well, but it's got to be somewhere it's warm, right? Because fuck this. Not only does it have to be somewhere where it's warm also they're gonna have to be very cool with a little meat on the bones for either of us to join yes that's true and also they'd have to definitely not be looking up at the hideous fucking chud faces <laughs> that with our slack jaws because we're just staring at people yeah yeah i will uh, also probably be compulsively masturbating <laughs> Thank you for stepping on that, because that would have been a brilliant clip otherwise. Uh, anyway, we uh, now come to the height of the Depression. And in Chicago... Um, oh, for a second there, when you said height of depression, I thought it was just when I found out that the uh, nudist camp film started with a Nazi origin. Oh, yeah, that was... That, <laughs> that was the height of depression. That was the height of depression. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's the height of the uh, Depression era. In Chicago, um, and there then was a Sally Ranch who was getting big in Chicago. She was a feather dancer, and she also had her own little show called The Nude Ranch, which was, again, just another nudie cutie. Well, she was a famous burlesque performer who was the queen of fan dancing. Yeah, the, the feather used, and fans. Yep. They used her name to be able to sell other types of nudie cutie and sex-based films. Yeah. And then once that hit, there was like a ton of other burlesque performers that they used their famous name. Yeah. Like Blaze Star being one of them who ended up transitioning into this and all of that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. But it's just really brilliant the way that they show the progression of this stuff going. Where like the name performer that sells it, I'm thinking about Marilyn Chambers and uh, oh yeah, yeah, like yeah. all of her the, films where she presented all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, and those kinds of things. Like it's just it's so amazing to see that this sort of thing just hasn't really changed. Like, you know, it's all the same. 
Yeah. You, you pick somebody that just so happens to be able to sell a, a sexy movie based on their proclaimed stardom of sexual uh, or, sexuality and you boom. You go as easy as basketball players selling shoes. They might not even wear those shoes. I'm trying to stick to the subject matter uh, at uh, hand because okay, I gotcha. give but, zero fucks about basketball and I give plenty of fucks about bouncing titties and naked fan dances. That's a clip. That's definitely somehow a clip. I give all the fucks I have left for <laughs> naked fan dances and bouncing titties. That's your clip, There's sir. a clip. That's the one I'll be proud of. <laughs> uh, again, we get more scenes from this nude ranch. A lot of scandaly kid ladies running around. Oh, by the way, thank you, documentary. Yes, thank you, documentary. <laughs> I mean, this has been a fault. I mean, just documentary. Thank you. The only thing I'm upset with you about documentary <laughs> is revealing the truth of the origin of nudist camp films, and I'm never going to get over that. Yeah, yeah. That was <laughs> God for, damn it. For Hitler to sue beauty. <laughs> Gross. Uh-huh. Uh, then they came out with something called The Full Monty, uh, and that was at peep booths at local arcades. Uh, you get to see a lot of these are like naked women playing badminton and all that kind of stuff. So, what's but really, fully nude. So at these arcades. What's so. really interesting is the shorter the film is, the less likely it was to get any kind of like crazy notice or someone would freak out. And at these penny arcades, if you complain, it's like, well, you it said what it was. Why did you put your money in there? Exactly. You know, and if somebody would get upset, like they obviously would have areas where kids couldn't go in, I would hope. And even if they could, I mean, for like a hey, quarter, you get to watch a naked lady play keep, badminton. Keep a keep a better, you know, watch on your little fucking rugrats. <laughs> Wait, parental responsibility is something that they need to take care of themselves, Matt? Yeah. Why can't they just put a parental lock on the world, Matt? No, they need to watch over their little crotch fruit and make sure that they don't get into something they don't want them into. Just because they irresponsibly shat out a child, they're responsible for taking care of it? Yes. No, that's not American. <laughs> well, I mean, you're right. It's not. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really not. Yeah, it's also not how my parents worked. <laughs> it takes a village. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or just abandonment in a box of Cheerios duct taped to your hand. <laughs> oh, wow. They totally duct taped it to your hand. My parents strapped it on me like a feed bag. But then again, I eat my feelings now. Um, David talks about the, uh, more about the peep show machines and the arc at the arcades and how they really started to explode during this time. Uh, I would actually like to get a hold of some of those old school penny arcade machines. Right? Like, and just, just, just to have at least one, it would be really cool. Yeah. And like, I would load all sorts of film loops, probably from the seventies that are the, the roughies that would make you sick. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't know, man. If they're worse than the roughies we we're kind of watching that were in this documentary. Oh yeah. Much worse. Oh yeah. <laughs> and they're, what, should, they're, they're that short was just like a short 10 minute, like or less. horribleness, yeah, like three minute loop of just, you know, sexual torture. <laughs> the 70s were a fucked up time, man. Yeah, no shit, dude. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, anyway, we see more examples of the arcades and everything. Thank you, movie. Some great loops there. Yeah, and I, like I said, the machines, just the craftsmanship for them, I really dig them. I would like to have one if I could afford it. Yeah, and they said one of the more important things about the arcades is the thing that not a lot of nudies could get away with, and that the loops were full nude, not just topless. Because they were short and, you know, basically... Basically, everybody was being cool. Yeah, I think the reason the arcades were getting busted is because people were being cool. People were being cool. <laughs> Actually, David does talk more about these hardcore reels in our next clip. Of course, in the 20s and the 30s, there flourished hardcore reels that were called smokers. 
They were shown in some of the best locations. Grange Halls, American Legion Halls, uh, college fraternities. A lot of times they were shown in the police stations even. These things were not made by anyone uh, reputable. <laughs> Most of them were made in houses of ill repute. With using one of the ladies of the house and one of the uh, pimps. But this industry flourished. As a matter of fact, there were guys that even went out on the road with a 16 millimeter machine, booked themselves into a Grange Hall or an American Legion, charged 50 cents a piece, played the picture a couple of times, a couple of reels, got out of town before the cops came. Brilliant. That fucking brilliant. Fucking just cowboy, Dukes of Hazard type shit right there. <laughs> that is something that I want to write a story about. Somebody that's like touring with one of those films and just like busting out of town in the 20s. Yeah. Before the popo can come to get them. Exactly. And just like basically the, the hoopla, the, the ballyhoo, the showmanship of like just busting into town, playing some super hardcore loops and like a four-walling type get thing. 50 in this cents city. a pop. Yeah, and like having all these people coming out and cl like clear it between shows and have them pay to get back in to watch it all again. You play a couple reels, you get everything packed up and ready to go, and you're out the fucking door and in the car like Bonnie and Clyde before the Popo can show it's up. It's fucking awesome. That's fucking genius, and it's just so fucking cool to hear that tale. One of my favorite things is they're showing a lot of things. They're showing a lot of things while David's talking. One of them was uh, uh, the naked, one of the titles of it was the Naked Dice Game, where couples were hanging out and played Naked Die. That was the one that was um, the, the first time I noticed that like in the 20s there was a lady that was completely shaved. Yeah. It was um, that one because she gets up and does a little dance and like, you know, yeah. she's like, well, fuck it if I'm already naked or whatever. Yeah. One and, of the taglines of one of the movies was fix, uh, can you fix a hole? Because we can. <laughs> it's like, damn, all right. Just calm down, 1930s. Everything's fine. <laughs> and also, yes. Yes, I can. Yeah, I can fix a hole. That's I can also fun. make it much worse. <laughs> Fisting. Um, clip? <laughs> clip. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in this case, the fist is my penis. Uh, <laughs> uh, then we have the rare sort of talky stag films, um, and they actually give an example of one, the Sailor and the Hula Girl, where now this is one of the first talkies that's a stag film, and the guy's kind of, he's he's pretty much, he's a drunk sailor, talking about how he doesn't want to have to give up his money or anything, but there's a hula hoop girl dancing, and then all of a sudden she's laying on top of him. Looks like she's going to start blowing him, and he seems pretty happy about it. Uh, looks like she does actually start blowing him. Yeah, she might have actually been blowing him. This might have been that hardcore. Well, so. the stag films were actual sex on film. They just weren't called porn then. They were called stag films. Yeah. And it was for that reason. Yeah. And also, I would... I, see, now I have like this whole category of a new category of sleaze I want to collect. It's, it's stag films? Well, just like these older films that yeah, like, like still 1930 survive. 1930s stag films? Well, any of this stuff. Like, yeah. I mean, like I'm really happy to have the loops that came along with the disc. Yeah. Like, super happy because like a lot of the stuff that I'm like I really want to see this yeah it's on there yeah already but like some of the other ones are I'm like well where the fuck is this movie I want to see this yeah right no kidding the 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 sailor and the hula girl well that one I wasn't so much into yeah yeah because um, his his voiceover work was really kind of it, it was kind of creepy it was ruining the moment for me yeah really. man yeah it was not I don't need to hear his innermost thoughts as he's getting a blowjob from a lady from 
twenties. <laughs> I kind of do now. <laughs> uh, well, now we come about. It is World War Two, and this was actually a very sad time for sexploitation films and everybody else. Um, yeah, right. After a little bit of a war bond sales song, uh, David explains more about why this was such a hard time for this exploitation in our next clip. Anybody that went in the army, by the way, he saw some exploitation. Every inductee had to see three movies, The Articles of War, Military Courtesy, and Venereal Disease. Most men know less about their own bodies than they do about their automobiles. During sexual intercourse, the sticky matter inside the female organs gets under the foreskin or in the opening of the penis. If these germs are not destroyed early, they will dig in and begin growing. I got a soul in the pecker. Sit down, let's have a look at it. Doc, they hurt like they've been in a nutcracker. They're that big. With prompt treatment, chancroid is ordinarily not difficult to cure. Gonorrhea, or clap, is more serious. It may spread throughout the body, causing permanent damage wherever it strikes. Of the three most common diseases, however, by far the most dangerous is syphilis. Usually, two to eight weeks after exposure, a chancre appears at the point of contact. If you go overseas, the danger is even more serious. Because besides gonorrhea and syphilis, there are a couple of other diseases. Worse than either of them. There's no need to go into that now. Take my word for it, they're Lulu's. However, if you do expose yourself, use a good condom and follow it by immediate and thorough prophylaxis. These prophylactic stations are available at Army or Marine Corps barracks, at shore stations, and on board ship. They are put there for you. Use them for your protection. Hey, chicken! I'll take care of myself. Don't forget, put it on before you put it in. Okay. Censorship, for some strange reason, was at its peak. All of these uh, various censor boards came to life and knew that it was their duty, their sworn duty, to protect America from any evils that motion pictures might bring about. But there was some printed matter that started coming up, the pinup girl. A college room would be incomplete without a pinup girl. Sometimes she pops up in the strangest places, occupies a position of honor wherever she goes. There aren't many places she doesn't go. As a rule, pinup girls appear by special request, carefully selected, put up with loving care. As we watch Russell Patterson make some sketches, I'd like to remind you that the expression pinup first came into use during World War II. Illustrations such as this achieved such popularity that every major artist in America was asked for drawings to be sent overseas. Mr. Patterson, not quite satisfied with his first attempt, has decided to try a new approach. First stop is a model agency. Russell Patterson never overlooks a possibility. He asks her to pose, and she says, Who, me? 
and the pinup came to life and became the new face of sexploitation in photos, magazines, and especially in numerous theatrical shorts of the 1940s and 50s. It's really interesting because I can see where they couldn't carry films overseas, but a pinup shot. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, every soldier would be carrying that, and that happened in like the 20s or whatever. I forget yeah. what they used to call them in the 20s, but it was basically like the equivalent of beaver shot. Yeah, yeah. But they would have something like that where it'd be like a saucy picture of a lady in lingerie or whatever. Yeah. And so cyclically speaking, that comes back around because it's easier to carry that. Mm -hmm. And then you would have magazines and stuff like that that they could carry. Yeah. And that would go into like college dorms and stuff like that. And that was easier to hide than say a stag reel, which was getting more censorship and having more people crack down because of morals. And there was always so many more ways for the pinup girl to be brought over. Uh, Their wallet size pictures, the posters, um, their playing cards that had the girls on them as well. Heck, a lot of pinup girls became painted on fucking warplanes, dropping bombs in Germany and yeah. fucking and on in, the bombs in, in Tokyo. Yeah, and on the bombs and on the bombs themselves. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, this uh, obviously this is the time when you think of pinup girls, you think of the World War II era as the time when they really, you know, when they exploded onto the scene. I think more like the fifties immediately after it was over is where I think of pinup girls more. But yes, this is where it originated from. Absolutely, which is some of the finest era of hair and makeup and oh and my god it is women. unbelievable yeah how yeah the 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 women's style of the 1950s well the late 40s 40, 40s, 40s going into 50s, into 50s yeah. yeah is something something else yeah i kind of drop out a little bit and decide not to get into the way that the women dressed as much in the 60s but i still like some of the outfits yeah honestly all the clothing comes off so i don't care what a woman wears <laughs> clip yeah uh <laughs> you have some films here with the actual some pinup girls uh there's one like where one of the girls she's a mean boxer and she doesn't need a man and a guy comes whistles at her and she knocks him out i like that lady yes right um then we saw other women like teaching a woman how to do a certain exercise to make their boobs grow yeah and then one of them tries to join in and they're like you don't need any more help in that area and i'm yeah. like no no she can still do the exercise and then they start doing group exercises to help them with their curves yeah yeah thanks movie <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what else to say on that one yeah. um, um, all these exercises are essentially designed once again to shake tits yes and it, wiggle butts yep that's it yeah and then maybe have a little bit of the like hip hop accenting mm -hmm. the, the curves of a lady but all of it just shows off the female form in such a way that makes me go yeah, yeah anyway. my, <laughs> my eyes were constantly being shoved back into my head <laughs> I had to roll my tongue up like yeah. a carpet and put it back in my mouth yeah um, uh, but eventually censorship was killing exploitation but as it always does yes but there were still loops and still arcades uh, where the action was still happening. Uh, and getting more and more extreme as we go. Yes. Most of these wanted you to leave laughing, uh, they say in the uh, documentary. They wanted to incorporate a lot more jokes. Um, yeah, because who wants to think about sex when it is in the context of sadness? Of course they want you to have a good time and be laughing and happy. Yeah. They show a lot of stuff. Um, uh, during this time when they're talking about this, they're showing a lot of girls doing hopscotch. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, not a problem. Not a problem. But during the... I started realizing that I find a lot more things erotic than I ever thought I would watching some of these old school loops. I know, right? I never thought that I would want to see a woman hopscotch naked. But this show, you know, watching it for this show, I was like, yes, this is something I need to see more and more of now. You ever think just modern day porn's getting a little bit too complicated? We can just go back to the, you know, the simpler times. Uh, no. No, you still need some of that complication. I need to see fists shoved into orifices. <laughs> gotcha. Clip. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, the basic for this is what it's saying is while censorship was killing exploitation, we, they, there were still outlets for the people who wanted them. So if you can, while it may seem like it's being killed, it killed it's the, also... It killed the theater aspects yeah. of it. And this is around the time that Friedman himself, and he doesn't talk about it in the documentary, but yeah. this is around the time, like, after World War II and heading towards the 60s and the 50s, like at the tail end of the 50s, where they started making... Um, their exploitation films started more moving towards violence and gore, and that's where like Blood Feast and those films came from with uh, Horsha Gordon Lewis. Okay. Around this time when the draconian stuff came into play and they were really trying to crack oh, down on damn. exploitation. I guess what I'm trying to say is uh, uh smut finds uh, a, a way. <laughs> of course it will. It always will. As long as someone out there gets horny looking at someone else naked, there will always be smut. Yes. There is no way to stop the smut, so you might as well embrace the smut. Damn it. Love it. <laughs> Um, so, uh, we have, uh, of course, laps and now it's transfer over. We get lots of clips of naked girls doing a variety of activities, chopping wood, playing banjos, climbing trees. Uh, I mean, they're doing everything. Several things that I would not recommend you do naked. No, but they were doing them. I mean, not that I don't want to watch them do it naked. I just am concerned about the chafing of tree bark. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I mean, what if a piece flies? That's going to be a hurtful splinter that I can spend a lot of time trying to help them get out. With my tongue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I thought. And my teeth. <laughs> yeah, I'm, but I'm helpful. I'm, I'm a helpful person. Yeah, you're not at all a fucking twisted pervert. <laughs> Even a little bit. Uh, I mean, he... a lot, but... <laughs> we cut now to a movie uh, called Because of Eve, and that actually opens our next clip. Well, here we are, Doc. The two lovebirds, all ready for the wedding. Sit down. Are we healthy enough to get married? Yeah, both as solid as a new dollar. Sally, that first baby didn't hurt you a bit. You can have a dozen more if you want to. And Bob, you'll be pleased to know that there's no trace of your old VD. 100% cured. What did you say about a first baby? Sally, you never told me you'd been married before. Doctor, what did you call it? VD? You mean to say that Bob has actually had one of those horrible diseases? That isn't true, Doctor. Is that true, Bob? Just a minute, Sally. One scandal at a time. After World War II, sexploitation cautiously returned to the screen in the form of sex hygiene films, this time with the added gimmick of scenes bluntly explaining where babies come from and graphic medical footage of VD sores, which was hilariously cruel. I mean, the films promised sex and, in fact, delivered close-ups of vaginas and penises, but babies popped out of those vaginas and the penises were hideously diseased. Suddenly, dirty movies weren't fun. Cox and Underwood, two old guys that I knew at one time, were great old exploiteers. They had a picture called Dust to Dust, which was nothing but Briny Foy's high school girl and a birth reel and a VD reel. They had come through a town called Wilmington, Ohio, where a friend of mine named Kroger Babb lived, one of the greatest exploiteers that ever lived. 
One of the greatest showmen that America has ever seen. Of course, Bab looked at the grocers and he said, you guys got something going. He said, all you need is one thing. And they said, what? And he said, me. So he comes up with the idea of segregated audiences. Women and teenage girls only at 7 p.m. Men and teenage boys only at 9 p.m. But Bab went out to the coast and made a picture called Mom and Dad. This picture has never been listed in Variety as one of the top grossing films of all time. But I know from old records that that picture took in over $60 million when a dollar was worth $10 today. And Krogh came up with a lecturer named Elliot Forbes, the eminent hygiene commentator. He had to have a lecturer with him because he was selling this book. That was all part of the gimmick. In fact, that was the gimmick. These books you could buy for a dime at any carnival supply house. They were merely reprints of U.S. Department of Health pamphlets. You know, Mom and Dad wasn't the only uh, sex hygiene picture. There's another picture called Bob and Sally, then uh, Because of Eve, and then a third picture called Street Corner. They were all basically the same. It was either a teacher or a somebody uh, in the town who wanted to introduce sex education in the schools and the mother led the protest absolutely not so naturally her daughter gets pregnant on her first date out here in hollywood everyone in the motion picture industry is talking about the most startling dramatic picture ever produced street corner now in street corner it was very different because in mom and dad and bob and sally the girl goes ahead and has the baby and puts it up for adoption. But in Street Corner, they added another little Philip. The girl goes to an abortionist. And the abortionist is this very evil woman dressed up like a Mideastern uh, peasant, witch-faced old hag, which again reflected the American view of foreigners at the time. Have you got the money? So in furtiveness and secrecy, the criminal operation is accomplished. Fear and ignorance have combined to add another victim to the ever-mounting toll. Another human life has been destroyed by one of the most malignant practices of a civilized society, abortion. Now compose yourself. You'll be all right as soon as you get out in the fresh air. It only allowed them to show these uh, sex films, how the baby is born, venereal disease. If the sex education classes had been able to do that, why, then none of this would have happened. That's something that we kind of talked about and was something that sort of resonated with me about the, the sex hygiene films. And yeah. So it's like basically the second wave of it is what I was talking about where it comes back around and they're selling the pamphlets where were just reprints of the Department of Health, which someone probably could have gotten very easily, but yeah, it's amazing that they would, they would be able to get away with that. And the various versions of it that they're showing, they actually do show the story on how it develops and how it's all the same when he mentions the various pictures. It's another one of those like comparisons where like you yeah. see the 
story is almost exactly the yeah, same. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, they have Bob and Sally, married couple, um, a whole bunch of other stuff. You know, uh, same movies about couples. Um, one interesting thing you get to see is a, a, a live childbirth. Yeah. This. You say interesting, I say disgusting. Yeah, that was bad. And then, uh, and then the next thing was one of those supposed to be scare tactics where they say, you know, you have every time you have sex, you have a one in ten chance of getting VD. They even this is where they actually show some of the VD. Yeah. Like the this canker sore cocks and shit like that. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Other than that, you know, yeah, like uh, he was talking about with a, uh, a lot of his movie and like a lot of the differences you can see, but like, or a lot of the same stories being told under different titles. Um. David even took one of his films called Bob and Sally. Uh, he describes the process of making it in our next clip. Well, got married. Bob and Sally was a very interesting picture. It was made by Universal. Universal had seen what mom and dad in a street corner were doing, said, well, we can make one of those. But then when they saw what it was when they finished, oh my God, what'll we do with this? So they offered it for sale and it was snapped up by one of the partners in modern film distributors. And I played Roger T. Miles. Roger T. Miles was the eminent hygiene commentator with Bob and Sally like Elliot Forbes was with Mom and Dad. Curtis Hayes was with Street Corner, and Alexander Leeds was with uh, Because of Eve. All of these were short Anglo-Saxon names ending in S. Very euphonious. Of course, it was entirely possible to see Bob and Sally in three different cities and see three different men all claiming to be Roger T. Miles. The truth was that none of them were Roger T. Miles because Roger T. Miles never existed. Neither did Curtis Hayes, Alexander Leeds, or Elliot Forbes. And none of them were sex hygiene experts. They were there simply to sell books, or rather, little booklets, specifically these that's fucking hilarious that's fucking hustle my friend well and that does that that transcends all sorts of industries you would see uh the chocolate watch band playing in like three different cities on the same night with a completely different members yeah i'm not saying that that particular band is the one but there was like in the 60s there'd be a bunch of these bands that were basically thrown together and would just basically be like a studio song that someone would use to cash in on the garage rock like you know this band just got thrown together kind of thing yeah and they would literally just be a bunch of different guys playing playing elsewhere on these different dates the exact same single hit yeah oh yeah it was on the radio i got you so like somebody pretending to be this guy and there would just be a bunch of them sent out to all these different cities it's basically the same thing as the guy that would blow through town with the bally who only this time the scam that he's doing the blow-off scam is selling these pamphlets and before the people realize they got ripped off he's out of town under the guise of him being an educator right and a sex hygiene expert Yes. Which, by the way, I would submit to you, Matt, I'm probably more of a sex hygiene expert than any of these men that were selling the pamphlets back in the day. None of those men are real. Any of the men pretending oh, to be the non-real Yes, men. you are then. Yes, definitely more of a sex hygiene expert. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> Wash your balls, folks. Yeah, and class over. All right, hey, uh, uh, women, wa- wash your vagina. You probably want to do that, and don't do it the way that Gwyneth Paltrow says because that'll burn you. Yeah, that's the, yeah. Don't listen to anything Gwyneth Paltrow says. Uh, Trust me to tell you how to take care of your vagina. <laughs> Don't make court have to mansplain how you have to take care of your vagina. No, do make me. That'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, we then turn now to uh, this becomes court's favorite time. Burlesque does start coming up more in the loops. 
singing, dancey, scantily clad women dancing around in a great burlesque atmosphere. Um, they said at the time there are 125 burlesque theaters in America, and exploiters come into the burlesque theaters with their cameras and film the girls uh, dancing uh, for their short loops. And this is also the thing that I was talking about where the narrative's a little fractured where it jumps around in time, because yeah. he mentions that whenever they talk about the burlesque earlier in the film. Uh, and now and, we're... And then they come back and they touch on it again and say that this is the era that it was really popular, but it's something that also happened decades before. Yeah, which is, it's very weird. I don't know if it's maybe just a new idea that they had, and so that's why burlesque came back up. But no, I believe that what was ending up happening is it was really hard to find performers. Yet there were burlesque performers everywhere, so readily available, you just filmed the burlesque and you got yourself a exploitation flick. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, we get many uh, performances. Thank you, movie uh, documentary for showing these. Uh, and so while burlesque flourished, it became a place for exploitation to sort of hide and uh, and and uh, integrate itself into it, away from the censorship. Um, we see, uh, we get a list of many of the burlesque performers, or even just women who started taking photos, most famous of which is probably Betty Page. Yeah, they don't really touch a lot on Betty Page, but she is prominent just because so much of her stuff is missing. Yeah. And she's had this entire career that and that girl next door look that she has has captured the world's heart uh-huh including mine yeah um and then and then it's no secret that i'm into pale skinned girls with dark hair you yeah get the fuck out of here um i'm done talking to you because i don't believe it yeah i thought you were into super tan blonde chicks from california <laughs> i mean i wouldn't kick them out of bed if i was single but i'm not gonna <laughs> probably call them in the morning no 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 <laughs> Because I'm a pig. And that's uh, when you'd start hate fucking. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, that's when. <laughs> Not from, like, the minute I start fucking ever. No, but what I was getting at here is um, Betty may be partially responsible for that. Yeah, I would assume so. There was a lot of pinups of Betty at a particular um, garage that I was hanging out as a little kid. Uh-huh. And that was kind of, like, my first exposure to that form of female. Uh-huh. Like, really young. Yeah. And that's always what I found attractive ever since. Nice. <laughs> I'm uh, a very simple creature, Matt. Yes, yes, you are. Uh, and then... Then it kind of flips over to uh, a bit more of instead of the girls just being able to take pictures, the performers, uh, very bendy ladies, uh, kind of rounded out these clips. Uh, very gymnastic, limber type gals. I gotta say, uh, nude contortionist ladies. Uh huh. That's a new thing that I didn't realize I was really fucking into. That's a thing now. Oh my gosh, that is so much a thing. It's a thing. So um, that's a thing. I'm so into it to this point now that I am going to be seeing out completely naked contortionist women. Oh, I mean, why not? I could probably watch that for hours on end. <laughs> it was it was very interesting. I was watching, I was like, ah, damn, don't. But, you know, I've gotten to the age now where I see someone do that and go, oh, is that good for your back? <laughs> I see it and I automatically start thinking about the various sexual positions we could work together with on that, with that contortionist lady. Yeah, see, I got old. I'm, I'm, I look at it and think, ah. Oh. I better get an aspirin or something. <laughs> no, I automatically was like, wow, man, if they can do that, then this and this could happen. Um, I look at them doing that, and then I think of me and how if I sit in a chair for 30 minutes plus, I get up slower and can't walk all that well. <laughs> That's fair enough, but my my mind automatically your, goes to all the twisted, your, perverted things that I could possibly do. Your mind was having a lot more fun than mine was. <laughs> well, that's weird, but when it comes to sex, that's like the first thing I think about is like, how can I twist this 
to my advantage. Yes, yeah. <laughs> That's the way I've always been. Um, uh, our host tells us more about the shows, and that is our next clip. But the strippers were only half of the burlesque show. The other half were the comics. While burlesque films were really the only sexploitation item through most of the 1950s, there were the occasional exploitation film that had adult content or flashes of nudity, such as Mau Mau, a documentary acquired by producer Dan Sonny, who inserted unconvincingly fake scenes of topless natives getting killed. See Africa aflame in an orgy of murder and violence. Death to shoot every incredible scene. There were also the so-called art house films, which were basically just foreign imports that contained content the Motion Picture Production Code still wouldn't allow in Hollywood films. And they were playing these little art theaters, you know, where they served coffee and they played uh, films for the intellectual and the pseudo-intellectual, the college crowd and the people that dressed in black and smoked all those crazy things. But all of a sudden, the theater managers are seeing guys coming in the afternoon in business suits and with briefcases. They never had this. And suddenly we knew there was a new wave coming. He's an old friend was back. The Nudist Camp film. And we're back around to the Nudist Camp films once again. Yes, the Nudist Camp films. But a lot of these performers are very funny about the trailer for the uh, the Jungle movie, but <laughs> and how it's supposed to be real. This is real footage. <laughs> yeah, I've actually seen that stuff before. It was um, I have the DVD of House on Bear Mountain from Something Weird Video, and I think that that might have been one of the extras was that trailer. Oh, really? For that, and I've actually had seen that specific yeah. trailer before, and I was like, wow, that's fucking racist. That's racist as shit, man. Yeah, I noticed you had a hard cut in that clip. Did you cut that stuff I, out? I cut, I cut a lot of really difficult, where they call, used a lot of off-color names to call people in there. Yeah. I tried to cut that out a bit without losing too much of it, because I think yeah. it's an interesting piece Idea. to be yeah. in there, yeah. but I didn't want a lot of the language in there. No, it's racist as fuck. It's, it's, it, when you watch it, it's so fucking horrifically racist. Yeah. Yeah. But almost, I mean, I'm sorry. Almost everything I saw in this is racist until you get to around the 60s. But it stops being as racist. Well, I mean, it's primarily white folks in yeah. most of the films, but whenever they're not white folks, it's usually they would use the fact that these particular folks were not white, so therefore it was okay to exploit them and show them naked because it's like a native. And yeah. the, the fake native well, thing we that even this earlier, guy, yeah. We were earlier, one guy wouldn't allow any white women to be naked, but only women of color could be naked. He didn't want to see anyone of color at all. He was that, a racist that was that censor. One. There yeah. was another one, another censor who would only allow women of color to be naked, but the white women no, could that was, because that was supposed to be more pristine. That was generally censors across the nation, so that's where that oh, particular okay. type of picture came from. But still, I was just like... It's the same thing with like National Geographic. They would have the quote-unquote nude pygmies all yeah, the time yeah. because they could get away with it because they weren't white people, which is fucking racist. It's horrifically racist. Well, welcome to America. Yeah, right. Oh, my God. Believe it or not, the country was kind of founded on racism. Yes. Well, and as we saw, what has returned now is the nudist colonies. Only this time, the films are now in color. Uh, David explains more about the resurgence in our next clip. A guy named Walter Bebo. I knew Walter very well. Uh, a German takes Max Nosick and they go down to Tampa 
and they film a picture called Garden of Eden. Let's go sunning, it's so good for you. Let's go sunning, neath the sky of blue. Pretty flowers need the sun, this applies to everyone. So let's go sunning. This was the first nudist camp movie in color. Oh, this picture set off a rage. And he challenged the New York State Censor Board. And the court ruled in that case, nudism per se is not illegal. Bebo is ready to mop up New York, but he forgot one thing. Every guy in, on the West Coast that had one came into New York and flooded 42nd Street and Times Square with a nudist camp picture before poor Bebo could ever get his picture in release. But his picture did one thing. It opened a lot of doors. Rose, I'm surrounded by naked people. Um, <laughs> that really sucks for that guy. He worked so hard to make it and he fought the censorship yeah, I was to like, be able to show his own particular brand of sleaze. And, and then, then like, everyone beat him to it. Yeah, it's it's basically like he was running for the door and then he tripped and fell and then everybody else crosses the finish line exactly. first. Exactly. Um, also, the plots for a lot of these uh, nudist colony movies have changed. Where the first plots were you just saw these pretty people get up, work out, you know, do activities. Now the plot was somebody who's never been to one of these nudist colonies comes, experiences it, and falls in love with the nudist colony. Yeah, that change is um, kind of minuscule. Yeah. It's more or less to try and create a narrative. And this is where they cop to hiring models to come yes. in because the people in nudist colony weren't that great looking. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. In the interviews of uh, the naked girls and, oh, yeah, then they, they, they have fashion shows with real fur. Uh. <laughs> that that was interesting because there's like a cop standing there like guarding the actual yeah. fur and, and then all go, the ladies are trying on and walking off and the guy's like looking at them walking off and then just kind of like looks back away yeah like mm, alright um, <laughs> so they needed security for that one scene um, then uh, but all these are pointed some of these are pointed as documentaries and David actually shines a light on these documentaries in our next clip you know as I've said many times going into a nudist camp is about as erotic as walking into the cold storage room of a meatpacking plant. So you always had to salt the mines. In other words, you couldn't use the real dyed-in-the-wool nudists. Most of them were in their 60s and ugly and shriveled up and everything. So you had to go out and hire some models and bring them in. Most significantly, the nudist camp films were remarkably sexless. Despite all the bare flesh on display, all anyone does is play volleyball and splash in a pool. There was something almost puritanical in the film's avoidance of SEX. But of course, that's also part of their idiot charm. Because filmmakers couldn't yet show full frontal nudity, everyone had to have their props in place. I was sitting in my office one day in Chicago at Modern Film Distributors. And a young man came in and introduced himself as Herschel Gordon Lewis. So we decided we'd make a nudist camp picture to play New York. So we went down to Miami to make this thing, because there's several nudist camps down in Miami. We start grinding them out. Like uh, once upon a time, there was these three bears, see? Like a big bear and a middle-sized bear. Dig that wee bitty bear. 
and everything's real cool till long come this groovy chick called Goldilocks. Man, from then on, there's his singing and swinging and ring-a-ding-dinging under the sun. Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It's too much. Though few knew it at the time, cult director Edgar G. Ullman, probably best known for the tort thriller Detour, helmed the nudist camp film Naked Venus under a fake name. Yup, as laughably innocent as these films were, they were also considered the porno of the day, which is why Ullman understandably didn't want his name on this. Wishman was the last person in the world you would think would be involved in um, this uh, never-never land of sexploitation. Well, Doris was a very sweet old lady, very uh, shy and very reticent. Max Rosenberg was her cousin. And they had imported a European, uh, I think it was an English nudist camp picture. Doris was uh, the secretary in this little independent uh, film, film company. And Doris looked at this thing and said, I should be able to make one of these things. She packed up and went down to Miami, and she had an idea for a film. It's called Hide Out in the Sun. Although Doris Wishman made about a half dozen more nudist camp films, as well as all kinds of other sexploitation movies until her death in 2002, her masterpiece was also the craziest nudist camp movie ever made, Nude on the Moon. Professor, what do you... The event that really brought about the golden age of sexploitation was the immoral Mr. Tease. Is presented in the Chaplin and Max Senate traditions, abundant with belly laughs and pulchritude and more voluptuous beauty than any of the Italian or French movie makers have ever dared to present. In 1959, a young man named Russ Meyer made Mr. Tease and school. They were called nudie cuties, and they were the stupidest films on the face of the earth. Okay, so the nudie cutie thing that we were talking about, House on Bear Mountain is one of the ones that they showed, and that one's great. They In the trailer, they actually have, like, the nudity in Frankenstein's yeah. monster, and nudity in sex, yeah, yeah, and nudity. Yeah. And I bought that based on seeing that trailer at one point. Oh, really? Yeah, this was when that DVD was way out of print, too. Oh, I yeah. I got my hands on it. Um, luckily, I got a really decent price for a used copy. House on Bear Mountain is a riotous amount of fun to watch. Is it? It's dumb. It's, it's so, so Dumb. Well, he said, and, uh, and he doesn't get a lot of mention. This is only mentioned in the whole documentary about Russ Meyer, but he is one of the the, the big men in these type of movies. Uh, Interesting thing about Russ Meyer is he never really wanted to consider what he did exploitation or sexploitation or even porn. He mm -hmm. was just making movies. Yeah. It just so happened that the subject matter he went for, which is why they don't talk much about him in this. Yeah. Because like he's the tail end of it when it became more of the norm in his movies were sort of in the trippy avant-garde stuff we're about to talk about. Okay. But, like, I'll, I mean, I'm don't get me wrong, I am not trying to disparage. I've got a box yeah. set of Russ Meyer films. Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah, I, I get it, I fucking love Russ Meyer's yeah, yeah. films. It's just that he's a different breed than this. These guys that they're talking about here, they were using sex as a way to make money on by putting it on film. I understand. Russ Meyer was making art that just so happened to be sex films that sold really fucking well.
sell. I gotcha. He wasn't doing it just solely to sell the pictures. He was doing it because that motherfucker loves sex. Yes. And large-breasted women. Of course. May he rest in peace. May he forever rest in peace. Um, one I loved uh, one of the clips, uh, or uh, during one of the clips, you, you got a vestige of one of the nude people on the moon, where his man landed on the moon, looked at one of the craters, and the inside was like a nice like paradise with a bunch of topless women and, and, and uh, men. There was and men, yeah, and men, too. yeah. Everyone was just kind of nude, and yeah, it just seems so dumb. Like he offered them chocolate, and they ate the wrapper. Yeah, that's Doris Wishman, though. That's a completely different breed of animal altogether. Yeah, um, Doris Wishman's sexploitation is basically like nude on the moon and then she went into doing the um, blood and gore sleaze herself at some point mm-hmm. and her films got worse and worse the longer she was making movies uh. but she did make two very classic and um, also bad films starring um, Chesty Morgan does that name ring a bell? Kinda she had like 30 something double Z or triple Z or like Jesus the biggest fucking boobs you will ever see on the face of this earth you know the you know Cereal Mom? Yeah. You know when Scotty gets busted jerking off in Cereal Mom? Uh-huh. That giant breasted woman by the pulleys jerking off to? Yeah. That's Chesty Morgan. Damn. Yeah. And she had two different movies that she made with Doris Wishman. Double Agent 73, which I believe is the measurement of her chest. Uh-huh. And then the other one is Deadly Weapons, where she literally uses her tits to kill people. Jesus Christ. You want to watch what, both of those, uh, uh, What a way to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, there you go. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So Doris Wishman's films aren't good, but they're fun. <laughs> And sometimes that's all you need. That's always all I need. Yeah, sometimes. yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So as I said, like the nude cuties were typically comedies uh, by uh, old burlesque and, and starting older like burlesque uh, burlesque stars and and the such. Um, uh, um, often amount of times in the nude cuties, they were nude but not sexualized. Well, yeah, they would not be able to actually show sex on screen, but it was basically what we were describing. We're just, um, you're just watching nude people in non-sexual situations. Well, and it's mostly nude women. Occasionally there would be like relatively naked guys, but it's usually naked women and they'd be playing volleyball with all their stuff like lower half obscured by leaves or something like that with plants. Or they would walk up a staircase and then the guide rail of the staircase would block out the area you're not supposed to see. Yeah. But you could watch their ass on the way when they walk up, but then they cut from another angle when they're walking down the staircase. Mm -hmm. House on Bear Mountain, there's like entire sequences where literally girls just walk up and down the stairs Oof. like naked yeah but like they strategically hide the various parts that they're supposed to when they stop or when uh-huh. they turn and like the way that they actually hide that specific area is so fucking ingenious it's like that's awesome unbelievable and there's tons of them that are like yeah that. um we kind of move over and and david has also made some of these as well as did actually francis ford coppola when he was at nyu david makes mention um many were um of the type of like either the man finds a way to become invisible or he finds x-ray specs well those it's those juvenile type things that you know that's uh, something they call out in the series where it's like most of these films are dumb and they're like yeah. the prepubescent dream of what it would be like to be yes able to you have the ladies. x-ray specs or yeah yeah or you're, being you're invisible. invisible yeah all things that even men in their 40s sitting in this table would relish being able to use uh one of my favorite things is we're going to get a bout of trailers here uh that are just fun to listen to because they're just great because they're just hilarious. And that is our next clip. When a sex-starved little bookkeeper discovers a magic liquid to make him invisible, anything can happen. With a body like this, a woman could give any man hallucinations. But when the invisible lover strikes, 
everybody flips. Olympic International Films just produced a new kind of horror film. This picture, I run a finishing school for young girls working on the finer points of bodybuilding. <laughs> oh, my, my, my. This dainty little girl was in school on a football scholarship. If you don't like horror movies or sex Or comedies or sex Or Frankenstein or sex Well then just don't come see it, honey Cause this movie is dirty Dirty, dirty, dirty Somewhere in outer space Professor B. Twiddle is approaching Venus Up space wheel Professor B. Twiddle here gads about in outer space. Maybe space driving is easier for dizzy dames. There's less traffic for them to snarl up. But look, our girl cosmonaut has landed on an unknown planet inhabited by monstrous beings. All she can see are their antennae, horrible antennae with greedy red eyes at their ends. How can she save herself? Oh yes, there is a way. The woman of the 21st century will get out of her difficulty just exactly as her prehistoric sister did. It's an infallible system, as we all know, a cosmic striptease. And the monstrous inhabitants of this remote planet fall for it too, because they are, well, what are they? Men? Males? Anyhow, they all appreciate feminine charms. There's no doubt about that, as you can see from their ogling little button eyes. Button, button, oh well. Of course, if you wanted to see nudie cuties that were a bit more cutting edge, there were still the arcade loops. While the law was always eager to bust a theatrical film, loops weren't given the same priority. And the loops not only showed a lot more, but were every bit as crazy. Oy, oy, oy. So, some of those trailers, one of my favorite ones is that look at this dainty girl and man, the boobs on her. Uh, <laughs> boingy, boingy. The thing that we were talking about with House on Bear Mountain, yeah. that's the one that like I got my hands on and I really enjoyed. That actually played in the background with the, the yeah. if you don't like nudity you, you don't like Frankenstein yep. nudity, yeah yeah that was a fun trailer to watch and much like our host stated um, now if you really wanted to get a little bit more hardcore a lot of burlesque dancers took to then making their own little videos in the arcades or not videos but reels loops and a lot of them were posted and the, like you got to see clips of them in the um, uh, in the documentary one thing I really liked is they gave you kind of like not the girls name but almost like their tag number for like what you could choose like because there were like 16 different starlights and were all different girls but they had numbers after them the, that was actually distributor tag numbers or what they would actually be shown as the oh name of the okay film. see i didn't know that yeah i was like is so that some like, of them were the girls names but yeah. most of them were just tag numbers for what the film would be sold as to these penny arcades. oh nice david talks about how the 60s now coming up are his favorite time of exploitation this became probably when he had the most fun. Um, we get a lot more clips of nude women uh, stripping the, in those classic kind of 60s parties, the light, 
the the weird camera movement you know a, a lot more experimental um yeah they're all saying sock it to me while yeah, a bunch of weird lights me. are on their faces yeah. or their boobs are all painted up weird and it's at this time of the era where i'm like oh my god will you stop being pretentious and just show nudity yeah right just like, come on i know you're into it and i know that david friedman had a hell of a time filming this stuff then but at the same time i'm like you know you don't need to do all this yeah you just come on i just find it interesting just because you know yeah just kind of the like what they're trying to sell is supposed to make you seem like you're on a trip out too yeah but what they're trying to sell is sexy and trippy at the same time just becomes disorienting and hard to be able to make out what's going on with the nudity yes and that's where my real issue is i can't tell what's going on with the nudity (laughs) yeah so yeah with all the paint and everything yeah um david actually explains more of his joy in the 60s and that is our next clip the market had become tremendous the market had jumped from the time that Herschel and I had started with our skin films from about 250 theaters in the United States to over 700. 700 separate little theaters, all playing skin, all playing sexploitation. A lot of these theaters had come into this business because the neighborhood had changed and they could not uh, survive with the major company pictures. So in desperation, they turned to nudie cuties and found a whole new lease on life. Believe me, there's many exhibitor whose mortgage I have saved. There's many a theater I have saved from becoming a parking lot. And it was sexploitation set to a go-go beat. The 60s were the prime time of sexploitation. And the films were no longer cuties. They were now simply the nudies. Suddenly movies were being made by guys who realized they could make a buck by renting a movie camera and a couple of naked girls. The resulting films were often sloppy and irrational, but there was also nothing quite like them. Ah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Lots of go-go dancer films. Uh, Just a great time for uh, the exploitation people. Well, some of those eras with that kind of stuff is great because there were so many cameras that they could get their hands on. And it's literally, you could shoot a shitty film like this over a weekend, throw some tits in it, and it's going to sell. Yeah. This is like the golden age of... Just you're making free money here. Basically. And it's because there's so many theaters and they're so desperate for content and there's so few people that are able to make this. Yeah. That you could just jump right in, which is probably why David Freeman loved it so much because he and Herschel were making hand over fist money with this stuff. But at the same time, they're shooting like these gore flicks that'll show in drive-ins that are yeah. like making people sick. So they're just cranking out whatever they can. Low quality, just make as much money as you can films left and right. And that's their words. Yes. Like they didn't care about quality. They cared about quantity and just getting the film out and making money with it. Yes. Like Herschel Gordon Lewis never wrote a film to be art. He wrote a film to make money on it. Mm-hmm. It just so happened that at the same time he was making art is what I would submit. Yeah, he got yeah yeah he accidentally stumbled into art. Yeah, he made some really creative and wonderful films while he was also making schlock. Yeah, um, <laughs> we get a lot more trailers for oh, uh, almost like what were supposed to be anti nudies, like the movies titled Smut Peddler. All women are bad and aroused. And some of these are also the not necessarily roughies, but uh, almost the precursor to roughies. Yeah, and there was there was a different term that they used in that time frame that I'm sure we'll get to, but... But that does cycle right us into we start learning about the roughies, which a lot of them were done in black and white and much more violent 
violent than the nudies. The thing that was great about them is it, it featured sex, it featured nudity, it featured really graphic situations, and on top of that, you got to watch people get brutalized physically. Yes. So uh, it's sex and violence together, my favorite thing ever. We were showed a lot of torturing of women. Uh, and, I'm a fan. And, and yes, uh, some hardcore shit. Well, and also, some women would torture women, and then in some cases, you would see women fighting back against men on some of these, and those are the really good ones, where uh, there's violence all around on all, everybody. Uh, yes, uh, Dan Sonny, he had begun making a lot of really hardcore roughies, and David wanted to work with him, and then together, they made the Defilers, which David stated kind of became the standard of the roughies. I would tend to agree, yeah. Um, some of these, him and Herschel Gordon Lewis worked on as well. Yes. Um, for some of these roughies, I think the Defilers might have been one that Herschel Gordon-Lewis was involved in. Uh, there's a couple of them in the Herschel Gordon-Lewis box set I bought. Okay. Um, and our host actually talks about a couple that made some roughies in our next clip. Berserk roughies were made by the husband and wife team of Michael and Roberta Findlay, tapping into the tensions of a skin flick audience primarily made up of lonely men and frustrated husbands. The Findleys turned misogyny into an art in which the battle of the sexes is fought with weapons and penetration means getting stabbed. <laughs> Did you recognize the name of the lady that he just said there in that couple making films? Uh uh. Roberta Findlay? Does that ring a bell to you at all? It doesn't. Dude, we did like a couple of her porno films. We did several of her horror films that featured some of the same stuff. Shit. That Roberta Findlay. Really? Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Like that's how the career stretches. And like yeah. a lot of the sexploitation folks, whenever the money was drying up because it became so prevalent in regular Hollywood films and they didn't have that anymore, yeah. they look for the next thing and that's where Ruffies came in because there was more nudity in other films so they started making their stuff even more extreme and then when that didn't do it they just went straight to gore films after yeah. that. Well and then they even state the the Ruffies then started putting women in the position of doling out the punishment. That's uh, the best stuff right there. Yeah we get the Olga series of movies where she would be out there torturing and uh, torturing schoolgirls, selling them I, dope. I need to find some of these Olga films because these look interesting Interesting as I mean, fuck. She was training girls to be the, her slave and human horses at one point. Uh huh. Yeah. I see nothing wrong with any of that. As long as it's all consensual, it's fine. Right. When it's on film and it's a fantasy fictional film. Yes. I can enjoy whatever I want to enjoy. That's true. In the context of the film. In the context of the film. <laughs> but in real life, yes, it's always about with consent. Yes, enthusiastic consent. Or prearranged consent, so therefore whenever it doesn't seem like they're consenting, it's something that's part of the play. Yes, there you go. Yeah, you always and make you sure have you have, have a safe consent. word. Yeah, yeah. But you should have previous enthusiastic consent prior to that. Yes, yes. Um, Our yeah. audience should know this by now. Yeah, we're totally about consent. But if, if you're new, you always get consent. Always get fucking consent. Literally. Yes. <laughs> yes. Literally get fucking consent. Get consent before fucking. Yes. There. God damn it. Move on. I don't believe we should ever have to spend time saying that, so it's sad we do. Alright, uh, we get some different BDSM style films uh, being showed. And also, just uh, some women are wrestling mannequins. Uh-huh. Yeah. This is like all good it, stuff. Yeah, some good kink stuff's coming in. Um, I loved this era when it just keeps getting kinkier, and they just keep trying to amp it up because they're not able to put the butts in the seat with just 
gets anymore. Yeah. When it starts getting weird, yeah. that's when I'm into it. We kind of go probably into a little place that you don't really care about because it kind of makes it harder to see the nudity. And that is that they, and then they go back into the, the 60s go-go craze of body painting. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, so uh, they kind of spent some time showing some clips of a lot of films of women in, in various body painting. Uh, Dave even made a movie about a woman fondling plant. And that is our next clip. And who else but Dave Friedman would have produced a film featuring a horny woman fondling plant? We fought the establishment of any kind of a star system. But only young lady emerged as a star. Her name was Marsha Jordan. She wasn't that young, and she wasn't that uh, attractive uh, body-wise. She had an interesting face. She was a pretty fair actress, and Marsha must have been in 30 sexploitation nudie cuties, but she was not a beauty like Sherry Mann or Chris Mathis or Stacy Walker. See what happens when a simple herdsman meets the teenage hoyden offspring of history's lustiest heroine. Little girl from Texas, from Houston, who sounded like the yellow rose of Texas on her voice, but had a body that didn't stop and had a beautiful face. Pete Perry and I found her on the beach. I had done Daughter of Fanny Hill, and I said, I gotta get something else on the film before with this kid for my competitors find her. Within a week, I had written a script, originally titled The Man Eater, but I knew that the newspapers wouldn't take that, so uh, at that time, uh, long titles were in uh, vogue. So it became A Smell of Honey, A Swallow of Brine. And we shot it in four days, and it worked. A friend of mine named A.C. Lyles had seen her in the picture. A.C. was over at Paramount. And he said, why don't you bring that young lady over here? He said, I'd like to meet her. Came the day I was going to take her over there. She had disappeared. Had gone back to Texas. Paula, I may be a bitch, but I'll never be a butch. The wonderful thing about the exploitation business in these pictures, there was something for everybody. That was a whole secret. The picture started with a boy-girl scene, and then you had a orgy scene, and then a spanking scene, and then you had a girl-girl scene. Of course, the girl-girl scenes weren't meant for a girl-girl audience because women didn't go to skin flicks, but men loved them. It was twice the TNA without the distraction of any creepy naked guys getting in the way. Here, here. Yeah. It's very interesting. Uh, I love the story about the actress who just, you know, everyone started to, hey, wow, and she did a few films. People wanted to work with her, and then she was like, nope. <laughs> she was going to get her chance to actually go big and then just disappeared back to Texas. Yeah. I'm sure that happened more than once. But oh, like, I'm sure. In yeah. Hollywood? Yeah, well, no, just even like the exploitation era, she did a couple of films and then yeah. was like, well, Jesus, if this is what these low budget ones are like, what am I going to have to put up with for the bigger budgets? Right. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, we get uh, more footage of lesbians, and this actually is funny. It's supposed to be documentary style again, talking about lesbians. And he says there's one who's always the butch and one who is the femme. And when they get married, they're usually married by a homosexual man. Yeah, I don't, know how, I don't know I'm how the, accurate any of this is. None of that's very accurate. But I wanted to point out that they were talking about marriage between two women yeah. back then, uh-huh. and they didn't raise any type of thing about no. anything like negative or anything no like negative, that. No negative terms even. Maybe Butch is kind of... Uh, well, for the time frame but, that that's in, that's actually a very gentle handling. Yeah, and they called the man a homosexual man. They didn't say anything, anything derogatory no. as well. Yeah, it was very well crafted. I just, you know, that's not typically how that goes. Given but, the time frame that you think that film came from, yeah. it's extremely sensitive. That's sensitive and, and, and very open minded. Yeah, and quite cool about the whole situation that's, to where history is going to shine very well on that film compared to other things. Yeah, that's why I had this really specifully noted as I was very surprised by the I was full on expecting when they were starting to show it the, the reason it's not a clip is I was full on expecting to get the worst yeah like kind of language yeah because you have seen films that were like that I'm yes. sure as have I listen I've seen films that came out in the 80s with harsher language what this guy was saying which was probably back in the 60s well there's also films that came out in the 90s and also yes. the 20 aughts that have harsher language yeah dealing with almost the exact same subjects you're not wrong so some of these films of lesbians is shown called like Monique My Love um, My Sister's Business and Hedonistic Pleasures Hedonistic Pleasures look like the most enjoyable out of all of them for yes me. yes because My Sister's Business is just sort of a, a sister badgering her sister about being a lesbian yeah that didn't really seem all that interesting no it did not seem interesting I just for the title alone he's in Hedonistic Pleasures just yeah. seems like the kind of film I want to watch it seems like what you want to do to enjoy your time like on a vacation it seems like my main mission in life, hedonistic pleasures. <laughs> yes. As we move into the late 60s, that becomes the basis for our next clip. In there was all kinds of social turbulence. Protests against the Vietnam War, riots, strikes, demonstrations, assassinations, the sexual revolution, the hippie movement, women's lib, black power, gay power, flower power, and a drug culture whose psychedelic influence permeated art, music, mainstream Hollywood movies, television, and eventually sexploitation. As they used to say, what a trip. See the old society's startling entrance into the new swinging world. The whole dope uh, genre appeared. LSD, drug, tune in, drop out. Uh, you've got to forgive me, I'm a little old to remember Timothy Leary. But uh, the film students, the kids in film school at UCLA and USC, they were coming out of the schools and they knew they were gonna have a problem getting work at the majors because of the unions. And they got into the exploitation business, but they found a new freedom. Uh, yeah, with the, like all the upheaval of the late 60s, you forget how much was just kind of trampled into the that late time in that decade until he kind of just says it all. You're like almost worn out from that. Yeah, and then it loses all momentum as the cocaine just destroys everybody in the 70s rolls in and it's all about disco dancing. And, yeah. you know, while there's still some folks fighting for their rights, that it's something that uh, Hunter S. Thompson talks about. There's like a wave speech that he talks about in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas where they were riding the crest of this rare and beautiful wave where it felt like they were going to change everything. And then with the right eyes, you can see the watermark where the wave broke and rolled back oh, in the fuck. 70s. Like, And it's absolutely true. 
It's always something I get a little worried about that will always kind of keep happening and why nothing will ever really change. Everything is cyclical in human existence. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. And America is the new Germany. It's this, in Nazi times, man. That's what's happening right now. It's the same thing that we learned. You know, it's a, it's that old saying. It, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. I would say that every human being is doomed to repeat history. Yeah. Because we will never learn. Nope. So we're fucked and it's cyclical and everything's going to come back around again. Well, if there's a World War Three, though, well, there ain't coming back, any coming back from it. So, well, we would hope. Yeah. Um. Anyway, now we cut to some like the dope and drug movies are being shown. Uh, I'm sure. I'm not so sure. I don't think Reefer Madness was shown in no, any this, of this. Reefer but... Madness is like from the 30s. So oh, this, okay. this is later yeah. stuff. Yeah. But uh, um, this is like pro drug movies. Pro drug. Yeah. yeah pro drug uh, movies. David even made one called The Acid Eaters. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, now this is when the body painting is brought kind of back in the 60s and the hallucinations um, type movies, you know, the, where you get all the weird effects and color effects that kind of happen. And that it I obscures always find the nudity and you can't see the body. So yes. It ruins the exploitation in my eyes. <laughs> um, David talks about a new director that showed up in this time, and that is our next clip. The Motion Picture Association of America. That's the organization of the producers and distributors of all the major company films, of all the major companies, Universal, MGM, Paramount, 20th Century Fox. Got a new director, a man that I met, liked very much and respected, named Jack Valenti. Valenti was very concerned with national censorship. So he came up with a rating system. Kimrex? What's Kimrex? Would you believe a movie audience guide presented as a public service by this theater's management to help you select your motion picture entertainment? Well, I used to play a little few games with this. Would get me in trouble with Jack once in a while. With Zorro, I said the first movie rated Z. With Starlet, I said three X's, XXX. So adult, one X isn't enough. The lure of motion picture stardom for young, idealistic girls has always been part of the American dream. But little has been told about the price extracted from these noble actresses to achieve that dream. Flame, they make their way to the mecca of Hollywood. Hollywood. Baghdad on the Pacific, Sodom by the sea. Another great thing happened in 1968. About 200 of us who were involved in the production, distribution, and exhibition of adult film or sexploitation met in Kansas City and formed the Adult Film Association of America. It was determined that uh, the problems were coming not so much for the people who were making the pictures, but for the independent exhibitor, the little guy in Charleston, West Virginia, who would get arrested for showing a certain picture. And he had a lawyer, but the lawyer didn't know anything about First Amendment rights. So the first thing we had to do was prepare a kit to show the lawyers of the independent little exhibitor somewhere out in the boondocks how to proceed to defend a First Amendment case. We were in court thousands of times. I probably spent more time in court than I did on the set. But we won. We kept winning. With every win, of course, we went a little further. We just pushed the envelope a little bit. 
We had started showing pubic hair as early as uh, 1965. But the first one to show male frontals was a nudist camp picture, which were by then dead in the water, but this thing was called the raw ones. And uh, it didn't have much of a playoff, but it did establish a new precedent. This theater is proud to present an entirely new concept in adult motion picture excitement. The film, Girls Come To. Girls Come To could not have been made a few short months ago, but with the recent ruling of the Supreme Court of the United States, and we quote, nudity in itself is not obscene, end of quote, opens up the door for the creative filmmaker to advance to new and loftier film technique. The film takes us on a nudist holiday, a holiday shared by some of the most beautiful girls and best-looking guys, the wonderful world of complete nudity. And I said, complete nudity. See it. And remember, nudity is not obscene. Psychologists have contended that any interpersonal relationship between two males that indulge in sexual relationship is homosexuality. One of these is oral copulation, with one or both parties participating. With rare exceptions, gay men weren't seen in sexploitation movies. Instead, gay cinema evolved from the underground films. I really like where they take the time to actually talk about that, and because it wasn't the main draw for sexploitation, because sexploitation yeah. was made for folks like you and me, mm -hmm. they talk about the underground and the, the next thing that we're about to discuss here. Yes. However, I want to go back to the trailer of the nudist camp thing where they're like, the Supreme Court said this is cool, so you can't get on our case. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, they, they continually remind you. Yeah. Yep, yep. But it's also something that was in the clip, too, that Friedman talks about, and one of the reasons why I champion the man and why I hold him in such high regard, Dave Freeman and a lot of these other smut producers at the time were battling with court cases to go against obscenity and obscenity rulings yeah. and pushing the envelope so that folks that were not necessarily doing it for the money like they were, but were looking to create art could use some of those same elements as well, which is why John Waters holds up pornographers and the mob people that were behind the pornographers at the time in the regard that he does, because pornography and the folks that are pushing the envelope with that stuff are fighting the good fight for free speech so that artists can come along and express themselves freely much more than what they could previously. Uh, yeah. I, I, listening to him tell these stories about the, the fights they had to go through in court for all that, and they kept winning, kept winning, kept winning, is like pretty much, you know, thank God. I mean, what would our entertainment landscape look like without people like Mr. Freeman? And also the folks in New York that were fighting all over the place to be able to get these films shown in New York as well. Yeah. Larry Flint fighting it on a national level and yep. all of that stuff. I'll tell you, there'd be significant less nudity and I don't want to think about that world. <sighs> oh, sorry. Yeah. Just shook a little bit. Yeah, it's it's a that horrifying was, thought. That was scary. If puritanical fuckwads could control what we can think and or see or write about or film. Yeah, right? I mean, they're still trying, so, but you know. <laughs> and they're kind of winning right now. Yeah, right? Uh, we get shown a lot of what gay men were exposed to as far as their films and these underground lairs. Uh, and then underground films. Uh, underground films. Under Lairs, underground films. I'm sure they would see these underground films in some underground yeah, layers. Right. But. <laughs> uh, David talks about uh, Sean Sales, uh, who made a picture uh, about it called The Song of the Loon, where it was really, it w 
was nothing sexual. It was a white boy and an Indian boy who go swimming together. But gay theaters would just show this in droves, and they would show it up in droves. There's nothing sexual that happened. They but... hold each other in a very passionate way. Yeah. And when they're swimming, they share... I want nothing overtly sexual happens. They don't fuck on camera, yeah. no. But what it really does show is actually a more tender and sort of loving side between these two men swimming together and, like, you know, holding each other and stuff. And it's actually, like, very sweet and saccharine and romantic, but, I mean, that was probably all they would have at this time frame. Oh, yeah, to show anything s- that's, like, romantic form, a romance movie. Well, and it helps that the guys are both naked almost the entire time. Well, that's but true. Still. But still, I mean... That's all they had, basically. Yeah, if it's that close to romance, then yeah. I mean, it's not like there was a lot of homosexual romance movies uh, back in the 60s. I would say there's exactly zero. Yeah. Yeah. Um, David talks the end of the 60s, and that is our next clip. 60s. The uh, AFI, American Film Institute, clocked something like 900 nudies, nudie cuties, uh, nudist camp pictures, and roughies made in that one decade. We all thrived, we all had a good time, and you know, the funny thing is, we turned out some pretty good pictures. There was a transition at the end of the 60s of the storefronts, and a bunch of people who had appeared from I don't know where came out and opened a storefront. Most cities had a law that a theater had to have, to be constituted a theater and have firewalls and fire protection. It had to have at least 90, 99 seats. These characters came in, rented a store downtown, put in 40 or 50 seats, bought a 16 millimeter projector, put it on a card table and started grinding. And all of a sudden, these things went a little bit further than the sexploitation, nudie, cutie. They just pushed the envelope a little. It was the transition between the sexploitation and the actual hardcore. Never before have you witnessed what you'll see in full color and sound in the house on Beaver Street. Yes, even our hidden cameras will actually show them in, a, in their uncontrolled, lustful hunger for men. The producers and distributors of that smash hit, Anomalies, and the public-loving daughters of Anomaly now present their latest box office hit, Beyond All Limits. This is not a space film. How does such a man take two normal girls who simply want to give up smoking and change them into lesbian lovers for his voyeuristic enjoyment? Soul Lover explores the world of supernatural sex. See young girls making love to their invisible lover. Danger! Watch while Tony Booty attacks the newlyweds. Meanwhile, at Bat Pussy's secret warehouse hideout, Dora Dildo, alias the mighty Bat Pussy, is patiently waiting for her super senses to tell her that a crime is about to be committed. She can always tell when her twat begins to twitch. God, Dildo, I feel like a crime is about to be committed. My secret twat tells me somebody's about to shoot a fight movie in my holy Gotham City. 
I think this is a job for Baptist Elamon not getting into my Baptist uniform. I would have been very disappointed in you if you didn't include the stuff from Bat Pussy. Of course I was going to include that. Uh, then we see her uh, going away in a bouncy ball. That's her yeah. Batmobile. Uh, uh, BB and BC covered that, and I think they may have covered it again when they changed their name to Exploitation Filmcast. Mm-hmm. But um, that's one of the most fun episodes I think I've ever heard of BB and BC because Bat Pussy is absolutely terrible, and they all just ripped into that movie. <laughs> but it's like one of the earliest full hardcore content adult films. Yeah, I mean, it really is. Um, anyway, uh, then they cut to the live sex shows that started popping up in New York. Uh, That's how they got away with it. They wouldn't film it because it was illegal to have it on film, but they would have live sex shows. Yeah, they would show it. Yeah. Uh, you can we, see stuff like that in The Deuce, by the way. The first season of The Deuce that's oh, on okay. HBO. They, nice. That's like the history of like pornography in New oh. York when it like blew up. Well, and we see this. The images of the theaters and sex shops in New York City, Times Square, really starting to blow up. That was my mecca yeah. when it existed in that sense. Before Giuliani cleaned up. Before it was ruined, yes. Before the cleanups. Um, we cut to, we're in the early 70s now, and that's when Man and Wife came out. And then we started having more white coders, if you will. Uh, the white coders started making it more of a comeback. Which was just basically the hygiene films once again. Yes, exactly, yes. Uh, some of these movies, though, you were starting to see the real thing, real sex, and not simulated anymore. Because it was under the guise of educational, they mm-hmm. got away with it. So they're using the same tactics, but they're basically like, well, they let us get away with this in the old days to push the, the yeah. edge with this fake narrative. Oh. Let's try it again with a hygiene film, only this time yeah. we'll use actual hardcore sex. The hygiene, sex hygiene films were hiding just straight up hardcore penetration and sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we see how they were having two different, like, would you would you have the doctors talking to the people, you know, before the sex would start, you know, talking about things. They were usually like the same sets, just different men. Same desk, same phones, same cups on the desk. All of it was the same set. They would just bring in different guys to do that. Yeah. And they actually showed much how they showed like how the different Yeah, you know, how movies. it's exactly the same. It's just yeah. a different dude in the same yeah. set. And actually, IFC did a really great parody of that for introducing their motion picture series where they were showing like their own grindhouse events. Oh, yeah. And that was something the ladies and gentlemen that was on our show, I stole that from IFC who stole that kind of shit from here. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, then, um, uh, yeah, and then we get the scenes. Then they do the scenes of the different movies, especially these husband-wife movies uh, that uh, were all you know different names, but they use the exact same formula, and sometimes the almost the exact same script. They're yeah. just different actresses yeah. and, and, and a different title of the movie. Yeah. And you kind of saw that. They did, again, those split screens where they're showing it. I loved when they did that. That was so much fun to see. And you're just like, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's literally the same film. They just shoot it with different people and maybe change the settings around a little bit differently. And that's how they cranked them out. And that's how when the early porn films were made, that's how they were done, too. It was the same set built in somebody's basement. And they would just basically shoot the same thing with just different people. Or they would put like a Viking helmet on it and call it something different. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, the arrival of hardcore scenes uh, brings us now to our final clip. This film is too much. It's against all the laws of God and man. Come on, get The movies became explicit and the fun stopped. Sexploitation quickly went the way of the dinosaur as hardcore porn became the norm, but that's a story for somebody else. I guess I'm done here. So long, folks.
Ah, but I would disagree. That's it, not necessarily how it ended up ending because softcore porn is the sexploitation of the day, and that's yes. what happened to Late Night Cable. Yeah. So it didn't die. It just came back around again in a different I was form. going to go through real quick, though. At the very end, uh, the bartender dude is boning. The lady with the pasties the on The lady nipples, with the yeah. pasties on there. Um, and then we have a quick little uh, image of that uh, David Freeman died in 2001. So it was a, kind of a rest in peace to him. Well, it's like 2011 or something Tor- like tw- that. I'm sorry, 2011, not 2001. It was, it 2011. Was, it was before this was released, yeah. but shortly after they had done got done shooting all of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. It was 2011, not 2001. But yeah. Yes, uh, that he had passed away shortly after the shooting, but then roll credits. I don't think we really have to go through a whole lot of final thoughts. I mean, we kind of covered everything as we we're going. Uh, this documentary was great. Um, I'm glad it gave you and like I, more I'm, understanding of some of these films. I have so much more kind of a, a broader idea now of what sexploitation involves and where its roots come from. Yeah, and you'll stop referring to all of it as porn now because it's not all. Yeah, because it's not porn. all porn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just very because you want to jerk off to it doesn't mean it's porn. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Don't kink shame me. I'm <laughs> not. I'm just saying. Like that's just a yeah. blanket no, statement yeah. to cover. Uh, it it's all. it's uh it's a lot of fun to know kind of where like the footprints came from from all this. And hearing somebody who talked like Dave, hearing David talk, he must have had a lot of great stories. But the stories he did tell on here were just great and kind of put you in that time. It, and I loved the idea of these like these fucking outlaws driving from town to town, showing nudie flicks for fifty cents a pop, popping up, getting out of there before the cops get there shooting nudie flicks outside someplace uh and using basic equipment just so you could pack up and get out of there if the cops come all of that it just is really kind of a cool thing yeah going against the grain of the establishment to make a quick buck doing some of the sleaziest smut peddling ever mm-hmm. and like basically winning in the end by just continuing the good fight it's inspiring it's wonderful and that brought us a shitload of tits and that should be the american way that- going against the establishment to make a quick buck <laughs> <laughs> it's the kind of capitalism i can go with that, that, that is real capitalism not what they're trying to do today ah <laughs> oh, jesus you know it's already a long as fuck episode let's do yeah. at least one new story and then we'll we'll, All right. we'll we'll move on because i i picked out the music i want to fucking play it all right you go for it we're gonna play a promo for another podcast that i sincerely hope is not using copyrighted material otherwise it's going to mysteriously disappear off the episode <laughs> i have a little bit more music that i found befitting of that's exploitation when we come back we'll do some quick psyop news we let things pile up in the dvr we add them to our cues we wait for the dvds and blu-rays we time shift the time shifters podcast sci-fi horror fantasy superheroes comedy action film television maybe some not so current events find us on itunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com
the way you lit up the minute I started playing that. You thought that was Benny Hill's music. Uh, didn't you? Well, I mean, it's it's very much like it. Well, yeah, that's you. It's very easy to picture a bunch of naked ladies running away from a masher, or, yeah, yeah. or like up and down stairs to try and get ready. Yeah. It fits perfectly with the kind of movies we're talking about. Yeah, big about. time, big time. Yeah, that mean, yeah, that mean, yeah, holy God, that's fucking perfect. And I'm hoping that what you're about to give me this will one. fit, <laughs> which is the star of news. It comes from uh, Alan. Uh, yeah, it's Chef Al. Okay. Yeah. Um. Uh. So this one comes from him. Omaha police. Uh, oh. Uh, oh. No, it wasn't. Police <laughs> called after Oklahoma neighbors battle with feces, guns, and a Roomba vacuum cleaner. I was hoping you were going to pick this one because that sounds batshit crazy, and I need to know what's going on. <laughs> yes. I purposely didn't read it just for my reaction. <laughs> a dispute between two neighbors escalated to a point where one tried to smash down the fence, separating their property with a robot vacuum cleaner. <laughs> I feel pee all over the place, but I cleaned it up. I don't know what they got a problem with. You tried to smash it with a Roomba. A Roomba, yeah. That's some anger. Yes, If you're trying to destroy a fence with a Roomba, Roomba? you're pissed. K4 reported that John Stafford was taken into custody on February 5th after a nearly 12-hour standoff with neighbor David Baird that ended up with the police using tear gas to force Stafford from his home. America is a bunch of cunts. According to Baird, Stafford became upset with them for an unknown reason and began attacking their shared fence with a Roomba vacuum in an attempt to bring it down. Countdown to Bukaki. Baird went inside and grabbed his handgun and tried to use it to dissuade his neighbor from doing any more damage. Shoot some fucking ropes. Baird uh, told the station, I told him if you break through the fence, I'm going to shoot you. He made his wife and kids stay inside while Stafford threw dog excrement into their yard from his driveway and hit the fence with the vacuum. I'm going to stockpile all my guns because cops don't help you. <laughs> that was perfect. Uh, both Baird and his other neighbors videotaped the incident. Police eventually sent a SWAT team to the neighborhood, complete with a bomb squad and an explosive retrieval robot. That or they just had a bukkake mouth party. Stafford eventually went inside his house and dialed 911. Old cops are bumbling dummies. He, When he contacted the dispatcher, Stafford told them that he wanted to report a douchebag. Can't pay a bail? <laughs> well, I can probably fix that for a blowy. <laughs> Jesus, if that were illegal, we'd both be in jail. Is it kind of weird? I'm rooting for Stafford now. <laughs> I'm rooting for this guy. I'm like, fucking hey. Uh, <laughs> I want to have him convicted of assholeism. <laughs> he, he then spelled the word out when asked to speak like an adult. <laughs> can't pay a bail. Well, I could probably fix that for a blowy. <laughs> <laughs> Douche. Douche. <laughs> can you speak like an adult? D-O-U-C-H-E-B-A-G And it's a capital D on that For dick <laughs> uh, He also told the dispatcher He was going to run you guys Into the ground Yeah that's smart <laughs> 
Yes, you should always threaten your 911 dispatcher. Yeah, yeah. That's always going to go well for you. <laughs> uh, Stafford proceeded to call 911 five additional times. I'm going to stockpile all my guns because cops don't help you. Old ba- cops are bumbling dummies. <laughs> Baird said that he had never had a problem with his neighbor before, and he still doesn't know what prompted Stafford's outburst. After exchanging <laughs> words with Stafford, police eventually deployed tear gas containers to force him out of his home so they could take him into custody. Stafford <laughs> is now in custody at the Oklahoma County Jail on a charge of planning an act of violence. If convicted, he could serve a sentence of up to 10 years in prison. Robotic vacuums have been implicated in unexplained violence before. In 2015, the Daily Dot reported that a 52-year-old South Korean woman was asleep on the floor and when she woke up to discover that her automated cleaner had made its way over to her and began sucking in her hair. Yikes. <laughs> she was unable to exercise herself from the robot, so she called the fire department. They came to her home and managed to get her hair untangled without any further damage to the machine. However, I did hear the robot, the bomb robot, and now the Roomba have started dating. Also, it, Skynet is not happy about any of this. No, Skynet's pretty pissed. You couldn't even take down a fucking fence. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, can you imagine trying to smash up a fence with a fucking Roomba? Oh my, I mean, it, can you imagine being like the neighbor who's not directly involved Aren't in this? like still like 250 to 300 bucks a pop? Yeah! Like, even the cheap ones are like a hundred and some odd bucks for like the knockoffs? Yeah! Like, you're wasting a hundred bucks of your money to smash up a fence. Is that all you you have yeah, and, and, and what the fuck is your Roomba doing outside with a fucking fence? You, you must have brought it outside. Now, can you imagine being one of the neighbors not directly involved in this and just sitting back and watching? Yeah, it? Like your backyard faces both their backyards. Uh-huh. You're sitting on your deck, and this guy's matching on a fence with a Roomba, and you're like, "What the fuck's going on?" And then he's picking up dog shit and throwing it. <laughs> and then you know he's probably out of the back deck, not in his house, talking to nine one one. And so you're out there hearing, "He's a douchebag." I'm reporting a douchebag capital d as in dick (laughs) douchebag oh christ well speaking of douchebags let's close out the show and save the world from these two douchebags for the rest of this week yes all right we're gonna play the ending legion promo we'll have a little bit more music befitting of that's exploitation when we come back we will close out this weird ass show if you enjoyed this show then make sure you check out the other great shows on the legion podcast network like cinema psyops cinema beef devour the podcast Duncan and Bo Come Correct, Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast, Friday the 13th, Get Slayed, The Hell Ming Power Hour, Hello, This is the Doom Show, Hero Hero Ghost Show, Kill the Cast, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, Jerry Hates Action, Legion After Dark, Metal Health, Obsessive Cinema, Discourse, Pick 6 Movies, The Podcast by the Cemetery, The Podcast on Haunted Hill, The Psycho Semantic Podcast, Rick Radio, House of Wax, Dude Looks Like the 80s, Rabbit and Red Radio, The Shadecast, Short Bus Cinema, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, The VD Clinic, Who Will Survive Horror Podcast, and Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock. With such a widespread of shows, there is guaranteed to be a niche for you to fall in love with. Horror, politics, movies, books, sex, music, commentaries, health, video games, kaiju, action, news, comedy, and opinions that would most likely get you killed in some parts of the world. We are proud to bring you some of the best podcasting in the world. Check us out at www.legionpodcast.com, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and any other dark corner of the internet where podcasts can be found.
I don't know, man. I think it's about time to just like abandon music befitting of altogether and stop trying to make music that matches and just grab a bunch of this fucking porn music from the 60s I think, and 70s. I think so, man. That, it fits I mean, the that show was really well. Fucking groovy. <laughs> yeah, it makes me want to dance and fuck at the same time. It goes well with some of these fucking sick ass memes. Yeah. Dan. <laughs> Dan, Dan Beasel maybe just had to meme that if I had a drink, I'd have spit it out with uh, the Holy Spirit, Mary, and Joseph. Oh, Holy, yeah, with that, that porn scene. Yeah, the porn scene. Holy yeah. Holy fuck. That was a great show. That is that is the kind of high quality meme we are looking for that in the is group. The highest of quality of memes. <laughs> All right, so we gotta do some housekeeping here real quick to make sure that we get it out there. Uh check out our landing and launching page, legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops. As soon as I get the time to be able to do it, I'm going to start migrating stuff off of there because we have to save Legion. We've already gotten the copyright hit from the one that I thought was clean. Thanks, Rod from the Nashi cast for that one. Jeez, Nashi. Cast, what are you guys doing to us over here? <laughs> and if you would like to go back and talk about the tastiest fucking memes that we're looking for, our Facebook group Cinema Psyops is the place to post all of those tastiest fucking memes. Only the tastiest and tenderest of memes. <laughs> you can find me on Facebook. I am Court Psyops. You can find Matt on Facebook. He is Matt Psyop. You can also email feedback to Matt, psyopmatt at gmail.com. I got nothing witty to fucking say because I'm punch drunk and all I want to do is go back and watch more loops of girls dancing naked. Yeah. You can email feedback to court, cinemasyopscourt at gmail.com where you can send them your royalty-free porn music if you have it. You want Your royalty-free the- porn loops that I was talking about that aren't out there that I may not have my hands on. Yeah. Some of the earliest scare films. Whatever you want to do, just link me there at cinemasyopscourt at gmail.com. S- send them some contortionist. Right. And then, I mean, yeah. New contortionist stuff? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, that's good stuff. You can tweet a couple of tweets to a couple of twats on the hate-filled shit fest that is Twitter and you can also see a bunch of people complaining about a director speaking Korean on the Oscars there. Yeah. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah, but neither of us will complain about that because A, we didn't watch it, and B, we don't care. No, I don't, yeah. Let the guy speak any language he wants. Yeah, man. Allow him to do his thing. Yeah. I'm at court underscore psyop, and he is at psyop Matt. You can also follow me on the gram of insta cinema underscore psyops. That's where all of your tasty ass fucking memes that have to do with cinema psyops will get reposted. Posted. Didn't see any this week, but then again, I think the earlier talk that we had may have scared some folks away from doing that. Yeah, possibly. They may have been worried about my feelings, which I thank you for that because, yeah, I'm fucked up. <laughs> I mean, he wants to watch those 70s roughy loops. I don't want to watch them. I collect them. <laughs> or I'm starting to. Now that I know that they're a thing, I'm definitely going to collect them. It's a fucking thing, man. It's a thing. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Well, if you're out there making your own loop and getting a little rough, kick the fuck out of your subject and this week and make them your bitch.
fucking, corpse fucking, corpse fucking, corpse fucking. Yeah, yeah. Corpse fucking, corpse fucking, corpse fucking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess you can hear that okay? Yep. Are you sure? Oh, yeah. What about this one? Rip the baby out of the womb of the mother. Yes. <laughs> and this one? In the ninth month, you can take the baby and rip the baby out of the womb of the mother just prior to the birth of the baby. Ugh. <laughs> yes. You know what's even better, though? What? Because we don't even have to worry about the coronavirus. Come April, the April, the warmth in April will burn it away. <laughs> that's so fucking stupid. That's not true. You know he said that well, today. That somebody told him that. Yeah. That doesn't know <laughs> shit about science. And he's like, oh, that's fine. It'll, it'll be good. We're good. <laughs> I know the virus doesn't like heat and all, but that's not how infection vectors work. That's not how any of this works. Is that how any of it works? Uh, I don't want to talk about that fucking buffoon that's going to destroy the planet. Can we just do the episode? Yeah, sure. And that is our next clip. I may have lost track of the 20 goddamn fucking clips, so let's <laughs> see if this is the right one. Some films with the pinup girls, uh, sorry, hold on, Harper and like a mother, <clears throat> three, two, one. As long as it's all consensual, it's fine. Right. <laughs> I've, I've, that almost sounded like it was digitally added in, but okay. <laughs> Crowbar in there, pal. Oh.